0: From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast.
1: And say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give
0: you a round of applause for something that you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Palm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready.
1: I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to Hamrays, Guys, brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. It is uh, Thursday night, 640, as we get started with this live stream. We'll have uh, this show up in podcast form Friday morning as the Oxford Exxon podcast, as we get you ready for another weekend here in Oxford. If you're coming to Oxford, be prepared to be patient. The traffic is unbelievable today, if that's any indication of what it will be like the rest of the weekend. Um, Have some patience. It's bumper-to-bumper all around campus as people head in for graduation. If you're heading in for graduation, uh, congratulations to whoever in your family is um, heading across the stage. Uh, Tonight on the show, we'll talk to Gabe DeArmond of uh, powermazoo.com. Gabe covers Missouri. Missouri headed to town this weekend for uh, three games against Ole Miss. But I'll just go ahead and tell you, we talk about baseball for about 30 seconds it's pretty much football, some NIL, some basketball with Gabe. Mostly football. Football's the theme of the show tonight. Ryan Brown of um, the next round joins as well. Uh, we talk uh, some Ole Miss football with him. He, I was on their show about a week and a half, two weeks ago. They asked me an interesting question that kind of changed the way that I sort of was approaching the season uh, from an Ole Miss perspective. So we'll talk about that. And then uh, Michael Bratton of uh, com. You can follow him on Twitter at... SEC Mike, um, almost an hour with him, really diving into some uh, SEC football with him. Uh, he had this post-spring SEC rankings that were out, uh, I guess, a week and a half, two weeks ago, so we talked about that a little bit because he had some things in there that sort of surprised me, intrigued me, We talked about those. Uh, pretty interesting comment- comments from someone who is really dialed in to SEC football. Uh, Before we get to all that, I want to tell you that we're brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Uh, It's raining right now, but it's going to be in the 90s next week. In other words, it's about to get hot. It's summer in the south. You know what that means. You need to make sure that your air conditioner is ready to roll. It's ready to handle the demand that you're going to put on it when the hot weather arrives. So get in touch with the people at Comer Heating and Air if you live in the Oxford, Tupelo, that area. 662-801-1777. If you live in uh, Hernando, DeSoto County, Memphis, that area, call the people at Southern, get them to come out, make sure that your AC is in tip-top shape, ready to handle it. 662-429-4429. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900. Call that number, ask for my good friend, Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote, the rest completely up to you. You can shop that quote around or you can do what I've done. What I recommend that you do, and that is hop into a Clark Ford today. You won't regret it. You'll love the product. You'll love the service. Uh, Corey and the people at Clark Ford, they want to be your car guy. They want to be your truck guy. They'll prove to you what that means when you make the call. Again, 662-257-1900 guest join on the rafters music and food hotline rafters music and food on the square in oxford if you're coming up this weekend for graduation for the mizzou series whatever the case may be if you're just hanging around uh, next week after things slow down a little bit head over to our uh, rafters grab a burger a po'boy appetizers they've got a great beer selection a full bar and more great place to hang out uh, watch college baseball the nba playoffs the nhl playoffs just hang out get out of the heat for a minute They're at Rafters on the Square in Oxford and also Rafters in New Albany. I mentioned this will be the Friday Oxford Exxon podcast. The Oxford Exxon has certainly made this podcast possible for the past decade, plus Highway 6 West in Oxford right next door to the Oxford Crystal. Always clean, always friendly, plate lunches, um, daiquiris, uh, great snack selection, uh, all that stuff, touchless uh, fill-ups there from the pump. At the Oxford Exxon again, Highway Six West in Oxford. Before we get to uh, some of the guests tonight, we did a show on Thursday morning. Chase asked for um, Chase asked for questions, and we answered some of them. Didn't answer all of them. I was going to get to a few of these that uh, you guys were kind enough to ask because we didn't have really anything to talk about on a weekend where normally in May, Chase and I were talking about this, normally in May we're really breaking down baseball series. And The bottom line with baseball is that Ole Miss has to win seven of the next nine games, or it's really immaterial, um, barring some sort of a miracle in Hoover or something like that. So we're sort of getting to the point where the baseball story is what happens after the season, not really what happens in the last three weeks of the season. Obviously, we'll have coverage of Ole Miss-Missouri throughout the week, throughout the weekend, I should say, on rebelgrove.com. But there wasn't a whole lot to talk about today. So we asked for uh, we asked for mailbag questions. Uh, Lieber, I think is his name, L-E-B-E-R, says, how are 18-year-old kids going to react given thousands of dollars? Will they continue to excel in their sport or go the Jamarcus Russell route? You know, I covered Jamarcus when I was in Mobile, and when he was at LSU, I covered a lot of his games. A lot of Jamarcus's issues with the people around him, and so it will it will come down to that with kids too. You're right. It's going to be a lot of money in their hands, some of them, and a lot of temptation and a lot of opportunity because of that money. And uh, it will absolutely cause issues for some. And then there will be some who will have people in their lives who help them manage that and control it where it won't be as much of an issue or any sort of an issue at all. But, yeah, obviously I saw a report. Um, I can't remember who it was, Arizona, Arizona State, someone like that, it's you know it's six figure deal to get a to get a, a kid to stay or whatever. Obviously, that's a lot of money for a uh, for a college kid, and so you never know how they'll react to it. Um, Salmonish, my buddy says, um, "What did both your grandparents do? Where were they from?" I can't answer that for Chase uh, For me. All of my grandparents were from North Louisiana. I never met my maternal grandmother. She uh, she died. When my mom was pretty young, like seventeen, eighteen years old, um, I vaguely, vaguely, vaguely remember my paternal grand, my maternal grandfather. He uh, he died when I was three or four years old, I think something like that. I, I vaguely remember visiting him in Farmerville, Louisiana. He gave me an LSU football, which I used to have on the bookcase behind me, but people got mad about it, so I I, I removed it. I put it out of sight. But uh, that's about all I remember from him was he gave me that football and I remember him giving me a truck. That's all I remember. My dad's parents, I knew them. Uh, my grandfather died when I was in the fifth grade. He, I'm not really sure what he did, sold insurance, I think. And then uh, my grandmother, Mildred, who was a big factor in my life, um, she died in 1990. She died in two thousand. She died on when I was covering Auburn. I she died the day um Auburn was playing LSU in uh Auburn at Jordan Hare at night. And the game ended and I wrote and I finished at uh midnight and I left Auburn and got to Ruston at, at eight A. M. the next day. And I think no one knew except my wife knew that I was driving. I think my parents about flipped out when they saw me pull up because that was really stupid on my part. I got to Vicksburg and about blacked out, but uh she was she was an awesome person, a big part of my life. Uh, let's see North Tampa rebel says you generally disagree with bunting, but would you have allowed Jake Taylor to bunt in the bottom of the ninth two outs with Willie Mays Hayes on second? No, that was really Hollywooded because in real life, um, a Jake Taylor is probably not beating out a bunt on those wheels and Willie Mays Hayes is going to get thrown out of the plate 99 times out of a hundred, but it did make for a great cinema. Um, I can't answer this part. Dib Dibdob wants to know if Dan McDonald is hired. What are the realistic expectations for him going into the 2023 season? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about the roster. Who's returning? Who's leaving? That's not my beat. What coaches would he retain? My guess is he would retain none of them. Uh, what level of impact would that have in terms of excitement? It, it would have a lot. I think people would, would get really excited about him given the accomplishments that he's had at at Louisville and the role that he played in uh, Bianco's problem uh, programs uh, early in his tenure at Ole Miss. Uh, why does Mississippi High School H. Berg Rebs says, why does Mississippi play high school soccer in the middle of the winter? It's a hell of a question. I don't know. It is so cold at those games. It seems stupid. It. I'm guessing that they're building the schedule around club and also around high school football because everything is built around high school football. That's that's my That's my guess. I suspect over time that will change as football becomes less of a dominant sport at the high school level, which is absolutely going to happen. Um, what would be the major differences in a McDonald versus Bianco pro- program? What's interesting is that they run their programs almost identically. I mean, they're, they're mirror images of one another. So to me, that's one of the questions I have if McDonald's the guy, and I, I do think he would be likely be the first choice, but that is interesting. Land Shark Reb Tex uh, wants to know what happens when one of these $1 million plus NIL recruits show up to campus out of shape and lacking motivation and drive because they already hit their payday. Well, what's going to happen is the programs are going to get pissed off. The collectives or the boosters or whoever put that money in there is going to get pissed off. And uh, heads will roll at some level. Someone will pay for it. And I believe this kind of thing will – ultimately be what gets the market to settle. That's that's going to happen at some point. Hard for me to believe that happens right away though. Young guys young guys that are that good when they go to college, they've already got their eyes on the NFL. And don't forget, I mean even if these guys are getting big paydays, the big payday is when you get an NFL contract. There aren't too many guys that are going to get anything that resembles an NFL contract coming out of high school going to college. There's still lots of motivation um, Sigreb wants to know, have you ever done a trail run race? I've not. Um he signed up for a 4 miler through a peach orchard. It'll be his first race, not on asphalt. No. I've, I've every run I've, every race I've ever run was on on pavement. Uh Chase addressed the Marvel movies. Let's see, um most comfortable business casual shoes. I've got a pair. Um I can't remember the brand. I also have a pair of Kohans that are really comfortable. I like those. Chase probably would answer that better than I could. Um, Rebellious Lawyer wants to know, he says, I saw it in a thread, thought it was interesting. Would limiting scholarship numbers in football instead of expanding the 25-32 limit, increase parity by placing a massive onus on getting evals correct? I can see both sides. Increasing scholarships can allow for some hidden gems in recruiting, but limiting them spreads the elite players out more. I don't think anybody's ever going to sign off on that. Um, would it make evaluation even more important? Obviously, if you have fewer, if you have, you'd have less margin for error. It says on the next round, earlier this week, they had the CEO of Alabama's collective High Tide Traditions. He explained their focus would be using data to connect athletes with businesses to create greater return on investment on an NIL investment. They claim to do this by using online analytics to target audiences. For instance, if an athlete hunts, they would try to connect that athlete with hunting-focused companies and use data to target the audiences for them is the Grove collective or any other Ole Miss NIL programs focusing on this, or they're relying solely on donors talking about, um, they believe the market correction on paying high schools millions is coming in 18 months or so and will make the donor based collectives obsolete as it is not sustainable for the vast majority of programs. I can't speak to any of them other than the little bit that I know about the Grove collective from talking to William Liston, um, William has consistently maintained that they are going to be uh, doing the crowdsourcing here soon. I generally agree with this about donors. I just don't think donors are going to continue to do that year year over year. I think at some point there's a correction. I kind of agree with the Alabama guy, 18 to 24 months. It's so new that it hasn't bombed for anyone yet. There hasn't been a disaster in NIL yet. That's coming, and when it comes, that's going to create some uh some questions uh let's see jg ward he says not that it matters now but if bianco had gotten fired last year or left for lsu we actually did address that during the show so you can listen to that on the thursday uh podcast someone wants to know why randall says why not publish a hot board if everyone knows he's gone why not well number one he's not gone yet number two that would be really disrespectful it would be unprofessional um Look, we've we've got one ready. Chase has been doing a lot of work, getting ready for what looks like a likelihood, but that's just kind of not who we are. We've never done that. As long as I'm here, we won't do that. Um, I've had hot boards ready before that never saw the light of day, and I've had hot boards ready that I, as soon as something happened, I, I punched the button, and, and up they go. Uh, I... I'll let you guys answer this. I don't know. I, I have to think about this a lot longer than I'm going to think about it right now. 50 eagles, 10 crocodiles, 3 grizzly bears, 7 bulls, a human with a gun, 15 wolves, 10,000 rats, 5 gorillas, and 4 lions. You can only choose two to defend you, and the others are coming to kill you. What are your choices? I, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. What do I think about the Man City collapse? Um I heard about it, so I, I saw um, I saw part of it. It was it was pretty amazing that that happened. It um, European soccer is awesome. It's an incredible product. The players are so good, and that was that was an amazing um, an amazing collapse on on their part. One guy getting I think two goals in eighty four seconds. Unbelievable. Um, GJG twenty-three says if NIL creates a further separation between the haves and the have nots or reduces the number of teams in the haves bucket, what does that do to TV ratings? Does college football need at least a veneer of parody to be a good TV product on a national level? I don't think so. There's been no parody in the uh, in the playoff era. We've all known before the season who was going to the playoffs, and almost all the time that's who went to the playoffs. Last year before the season, we all knew it was going to be Alabama versus Georgia, and it was, and ratings were still sky high. People like college football. It's a part of their weekend. It's a part of their Saturday. It's 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 a part, its tradition. They plan their weeks around it. I, I don't think it changes. I, I'm in the vast minority on this. I don't think all this NIL stuff and all this transfer portal stuff is ultimately going to affect the game much at all. I really don't. I could be way wrong, and I, most people disagree with me, but that's my, what I think. Robert90 says, uh, Braylon Brown, what are your thoughts and or expe- expectations for him? He looks to have the physical tools. There was a buzz around him early last year. There was. Uh, since then, nothing. Had an injury. Uh, he didn't catch my eye much in the five practices that I saw. Um, he was out there, but I never. he never really did anything, and I didn't ask anybody about him because there wasn't a lot of opportunities to ask questions about guys. Um, I still think they have some hopes for him, but my guess is that he's still kind of bouncing back from a lost season. Sometimes it takes young guys a little time to do that. Um, Fabius wants to know the most likely positions for portal takes besides wide receiver. Um, I think they still want to improve at linebacker. Um you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they could land a, a corner if they did it. I think there are some concerns about quarterback, but I don't think there's really anything they can do about it. It's probably it. They'd probably love to add another lineman, but everybody else would too. You know, the roster's fairly full. that they They want they want to make sure they get wide receiver figured out. Uh, what do I think or hear about how Brian Kelly is doing at LSU so far? Really nothing. It's on my list of things to do next week is to get an LSU guest who can dive in a little bit to what's happened there. The fact that they're so unsettled at quarterback at LSU, I think, is alarming for the people there. I think they were hoping that someone would just grab that job, and so far that hasn't happened. We'll get to some LSU odds in a minute. Uh, the, Vegas does not Vegas is not crazy about LSU, and that tells me they've heard things. Um. Let's see what else we got. Um, a lot of nil stuff um, that we've pretty much covered. I think that's got it. So I did want to get to that because a lot of you guys asked questions. I wanted to make sure that we got to it and uh, and and dive into that. I didn't want to pe- think people. I didn't want people to think that we just ignored the questions. There are some odds out from uh, FanDuel today. Odds to win. The uh, SEC West, Alabama's minus four hundred, which means you have to bet four hundred dollars to win a hundred dollars, essentially. So a prohibitive favorite to uh, to win the SEC West. Texas A&M is a six to one favorite, meaning you bet a hundred, you win six hundred. And then here's where I think the bargains are. Ole Miss is sixteen to one. Arkansas eighteen to one. LSU twenty five to one. Auburn seventy five to one and Mississippi State one hundred to one. I don't think state has the goods to win, but I mean if you just have ten bucks laying around, might be worth it just in case, but I don't think they have much of a chance, and Vegas doesn't like them at all. I don't like Auburn's chances to win the SEC West. This is to win the SEC West. This is not about being a good team. This is not about winning eight or nine games. This is not about overachieving. This is about winning the SEC West. LSU at 25-1, to probably throwing money away. The two bargains here are Ole Miss and Arkansas. If you look at Ole Miss's schedule, and we'll talk about this as the night goes on, Ole Miss has a real shot if they're just solid of being 8-0 heading into the final four weeks of the season. Now, the final four weeks of the season are brutal at Texas A&M, Alabama at home, uh, at Arkansas. Mississippi State at home five days later on Thanksgiving. I mean, that is a really tough slog. But if you're 8-0 and you're playing with some confidence, you get Alabama at home, not a terrible bet. Put 100 bucks down on that. If it happens, uh, you're $1,600 richer. Uh, Arkansas is kind of the same way. Conference schedules, quasi-favorable. They get Alabama at home. They get Ole Miss at home. 18-1 to odds. It's not bad. Be something to think about. All right, A and M at six to one is the it's the one. A and M's got to go to Tuscaloosa. What's the problem for them? Among many problems, that's the biggest problem. Is they they've got to go to Alabama, and Alabama will have them circled. Meanwhile, in the uh, SEC East, this is all according to Fanduel. Georgia is a uh, minus seven fifty favorite. To win the SEC East, so from a gambling standpoint, it's a horrible bet because you're just there's no return on investment at all. Uh, three interesting potential bargain buys here: Tennessee and Florida, both fourteen to one to win the SEC East. Kentucky is sixteen to one. Kentucky gets Georgia at home. There's your bargain. Kentucky and Ole Miss probably the two bargains here, sixteen to one. Put a hundred dollars down, have a chance to win sixteen hundred. A lot of uh, a lot of people like Will Levis coming back at quarterback. Program is solid. Stoops has been there forever. Sort of know who they are. So sixteen to one on Kentucky is a. It's interesting. Uh, South Carolina is sixty to one. They don't have the goods. You're throwing your money away. Missouri is one twenty to one. Vanderbilt five hundred to one. If you just want to burn money. If you want to burn money. Holler at me. I'll give you an address. You can, you can send it my way. So those would be the, my likes there. I think would be uh, Tennessee and Kentucky would be. Yeah, it's not terrible bets in the SEC East on just a gambling perspective, trying to get return on investment. And then Ole Miss and then Arkansas in the in the West would be the two that would intrigue me a little bit. Those would be those would be the ones I'd think. Just a little bit about uh, SEC baseball this weekend. Gets started tonight. Actually, probably started three minutes ago as we're recording this. Tennessee is at Kentucky tonight to start a three-game series, and then uh, all the other series start on Friday. Vanderbilt is at Georgia. Tennessee again at Kentucky, the rubber, the middle game of uh, of that series. LSU is at Alabama. Uh, Missouri is at Ole Miss. Obviously, that game gets started Friday night, 7.30 on SEC Network Plus, 7 o'clock on Saturday, and then uh, 2.30 on Sunday, all of those games between the Tigers and the Rebels streaming on SEC Network Plus. South Carolina is at Texas A&M. Uh, Arkansas is at Auburn, and uh, Florida is in Startville playing Mississippi State. So the, all of those series other than Tennessee and Kentucky get started on Friday, Every, everybody wraps up on Sunday, obviously with the obvious exception of uh, Tennessee and Kentucky, they wrap up on Saturday afternoon at two in Lexington. So we're going to get to some uh, interviews and stuff first. Gabe DiArman will join in a moment. Uh, first, I do want to tell you uh, that as the weather heats up, so do the deals from dead Soxy. dead Soxy's mystery box is the ultimate mother's day deal. Get 20 pairs of socks for only $70 with uh, code Rebel Grove. In addition to this incredible deal, use Rebel Grove for 35% off site wide. Visit deadsoxy.com, stock up on your favorite no shows or dress socks, and step into warmer weather in style. As always, stay soxy. We're brought to you by Game Changer Patches. They're the only two patch system available in the market to stop hangovers before they start. The warm up patch used before or while you drink. Overtime patch used after you've been drinking to recover while you sleep. All natural ingredients will keep you in the game, ready for the next play. Gamechangerpatch.com, promo code REBELGROVE20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase. Brought to you by Automation and Control Systems LLC, a complete electrical control panel solutions uh, provider, Rockwell Automation recognized system integrator based in Baldwin, Mississippi. They've got a full-time dedicated emergency service and troubleshooting staff and a U- L five zero eight A panel shop. To learn more, go to M S. dot com or call 4381 Also brought to you by Lamons Fine Jewelry, Lamons eleven twenty six North Lamar Boulevard in Oxford has been serving the Oxford area for uh, almost seventy five years. Engagement rings, wedding rings, fine jewelry, watches, pearls, fashion jewelry, children's jewelry, collectibles, and more. Lamons is the gold standard in fine jewelry. You can visit them at LamonsFineJewelry dot com. Or give them a call at 662-234-2777. And we're brought to you by the College Corner. It's your one-stop Rebel shop. Two locations in the Jackson area. In uh, Ridgeland, it's next to Fleet Feet. In Flowood, it's next to Half Shell. If you don't live in Jackson, go to collegecornerstore.com. Plus, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram with the largest selection of Rebel gear in central Mississippi. So, again, Ole Miss and Missouri this weekend. Gabe DeArmond, doesn't really cover baseball, so we didn't spend much time about it. But we did talk some Missouri football, some NIL, a little bit of uh, Missouri basketball as well. Going to be a lot of SEC content coming to you later in the show. But for now, here is Gabe Diarmond on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Gabe Diarmond, PowerMazoo.com. It's part of the Rivals Network. Joins the big show here. Um, Listen, I know this is a huge weekend uh, for Missouri baseball, trying to get into the SEC tournament. The uh, the Tigers seven and fourteen, just scrapping along, trying to get there. Coming to Oxford this weekend, you requested some help with coverage, and the the laundry list of of requests were, was completely out of control. I mean, individual breakdowns of each at bat. Um, like seven or eight video interviews that you wanted from each game. I mean, you are yeah. really going uh, out. Your, your coverage is... You're, st-
0: you're st- burying the lead here because my first request was, can you tell me who's on the team? Uh, <laughs> like, can you name some players? Uh, I, could, <laughs> I think I can name three. Um, if you held a gun to my head and said, name an Ole Miss player, I could not do it. Um, I know... I used to know are that- you not watching
1: the Peyton Chatney show? It's on it's <laughs> no, episode seven dropped today.
0: Yeah, no, um I, I'm not. Uh I did used to know the old Mrs. Baseball coach's name. I can't remember it anymore, but I I know it only from reading titles of threads on your board, wanting him fired like every day for the last four years. I I, I know it sounds similar to Mike Bianchi, but I know he write he's a columnist in Florida and that's not him.
1: So. that's not him, but it's very close. It's Mike Bianco.
0: I knew it was something like that. Yeah. You know? B I
1: A N C O. Yeah, uh, very, at least for very at least close. through this weekend probably. Is there is there any interest among Missouri fans with baseball or is it just simply an afterthought?
0: It's a very small like it, it's like any other, you know, non-revenue sport. I mean like you have women's basketball fans at Old Miss. You just don't have a bunch of them, right? Uh, yeah. And so you know, I, there's a handful there's a, a group of people that really likes it, but It's just not very big. I I mean, I don't know what the average attendance now is, but I I think like this stadium record is like 3,600 or something like that. That's overflowing the stadium. Um, So, no, not really. I mean, baseball fans up here, and this is why Missouri has a hard time in the SEC, not just in baseball, but in in some other sports. Baseball fans up here are Cardinals and Royals fans. I, I mean, there are two major league baseball teams that have at times been successful you know and and if people want to go to a baseball game that's largely where they're going
1: yeah and those teams are playing and because you're, what, two hours from St. Louis, two hours from Kansas City? I mean, it's right. Two hours.
0: To- yeah, you Yeah, you can go up, go to a game, come home. Um, you know, Major League Baseball is so good with all its media stuff that you can't actually watch either team if you're in Columbia and you don't have cable, so you got to <laughs> drive there to, to see them. Yeah. Um, and- <laughs>
1: You're bored more Cardinals or, or, or Royals? It's Cardinals,
0: okay. right? It's not even close. This is a Cardinal state and a Chiefs state, and it's really weird. The number of people that are fans of both that were not really fans of the Rams and the Royals.
1: So there are people that are Chiefs fans,
0: but they and card for the Cardinals instead of the Royals. A lot of – like, if you would do – one, you know those maps that they they will color in one way? Basically, you would have maybe – a 30, 40-mile radius around Kansas City that is Royals fans. Because the Cardinals have a, a minor league team in Springfield, too. And so the entire state is basically Cardinals, other than that little pocket. And, and Mizzou, obviously. Big yeah. deal.
1: Okay, I did want to get uh, in, into some football with you, because we this will be a heavy football show uh, here tonight. Ryan Brown's with me, Michael Bratton's with me. So we talk a lot about SEC football Mizzou did not come up very much in large part because this is SEC West focus. And I think also because nobody knows what the hell to expect from Mizzou because like Basilak left to go to Indiana, the quarterback. And so now there's there's like three people competing for the quarterback job. And I I would not have known their names before. It was uh, Brady Cook, Sam Horn, Tyler Macon. And then I kept hearing that And they're trying to bring somebody else in too. What's what's going on with Mizzou at the quarterback position?
0: Yeah. So first of all, in previewing the SEC West, I don't know why you would ignore the westernmost team in the SEC, but uh, that's how it goes. But uh, no. So
1: it's so stupid, isn't it? I I mean, it's one of the dumbest things that Mizzou is in the East and not in the West, and we're about to go to pods, and it's not
0: going to matter, but. Right. They'll be in the West as soon as Texas and Oklahoma join. But um, you can you can thank Tennessee and Auburn for that, by the way. They wanted to play Alabama every year. So because that's smart. Uh, (laughs) Tennessee hasn't beaten them since. Um, But no. So the 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 plan was always like Connor Bazelak was the SEC co-offensive freshman of the year in the covid year. And the plan always, and nobody will say this out loud, but was Connor Bazelak starts in 2023, and then Sam Horn, who's a four-star kid out of Georgia, he's going to be a freshman, he'll be on campus in June, uh, probably takes over the job, or in 2022, Bazelak starts, and then 2023, Sam Horn's ready after kind of an apprenticeship year to be like the quarterback of the future and the guy that Eli Drinkwitz has built his program around and all that. Well, Basilac, we're pretty sure, got hurt at some point last year. And Drinkwitz never really would say that publicly. And honestly, it was pretty hard on the kid. And something went south there. And Basilac decided to transfer at the end of the year. So once he did that, the, the guys left here were Brady Cook, who's a three-star kid, that was actually committed to Barry Odom that Drinkwitz kept. And then Tyler Makin, a four-star kid last year from, from East St. Louis. And those guys got a little run late in the season, but basically didn't play until Connor Bazelak was knocked into somewhere that he didn't know where he was at at the end of the Vanderbilt game. Those guys got their audition against number one, Georgia, you know, which didn't trot out the best defense in the history of college football or anything like that. So they struggled a little bit. Cook played the bowl game, looked decent, but they lost to Army. Uh, And so Missouri, you know, flirted a little bit with Spencer Rattler. Um, Would have flirted with Caleb Williams, but everybody knew where that was trending. Flirted a little with Casey Thompson from Texas. Had Jaden Daniels on a visit. Thought they had him probably committed until whatever happened with LSU. And it's interesting, Jaden Daniels might not even be the backup at LSU now. Um, Had another, uh, oh, had JT Daniels from Georgia on a visit. Um, you know, you, you hear some wild NIL numbers thrown around with that, how he ended up in Morgantown, which I I'm not like that is throwing no shade at anyone. That is how you get players these days. It's it is what
1: it is now. Right. I mean,
0: yeah. I mean, West Virginia's number was higher than Missouri's number. And oh, by the way, going to West Virginia, he doesn't have to play his old team. He doesn't have to play in the sec. So he ends up at West Virginia. They had Jerry Bohannon from Baylor on campus last weekend. Uh, he's looking at like USF, Cincinnati, things like that. So basically they are scouring the country for a starting quarterback because everything Eli Drinkwitz has done for the last six months tells me he doesn't think he has one.
1: What is Mizzou's NIL situation? Where do they fit in the whole NIL hierarchy?
0: <laughs> well, I would say probably in this league, not super high. Um, but. They have done enough. I mean, look, Luther Burden, the number four player in the country, is here. Um, he was had a chance at Alabama, was on a visit at Georgia, was committed to Oklahoma. So I, I think Missouri's issue with NIL is Missouri's issue with everything in football in this league. They can get a guy or two guys or you know a handful of guys. Can they pay an entire roster what Texas A&M and Georgia can? Absolutely not. You know, I mean, um, or, I, I, mean, if Tennessee can pay a quarterback $8 million, maybe Missouri can pay a roster $8 million, you know, and, and I'm just throwing numbers out there. But it, it's – I they, mean, it's, it's legit.
1: There was a story – a story came out, what, this week in The Athletic where an anonymous coach or whatever, or AD or something, said, you know, $5 million is probably what's needed for a roster. And then you see the numbers oh, – yeah. You see the numbers on something like Nico I and some of the stuff that people say about Arch Manning and you're like man this I mean we're we're really creating well, some class warfare here
0: and and it's not those guys really that blow my mind. it's Nigel Pack, who played on a very bad Kansas State team, is getting four hundred grand a year in a car like you know the the quote I saw earlier this week, I think it was in Ross Dellinger's thing. can I swear on your podcast yes it was was one guy said he knew 10 years ago if somebody came to you and said they were getting more than 50 grand it was bullshit and he said the bullshit's not bullshit anymore right uh, i mean like uh don't don't let jay listen to this but like cam newton might have got a certain amount of money a few years ago Whoa. but now everybody getting cam newton money well cam wants to go back in time a hundred percent i, I mean, mean these guys were all in the wrong everybody was in the wrong era Think of the church that could be built now. Like seriously, how much money would Marshall Henderson have made in college? <sighs> maybe, maybe he plays the wrong sport, but like that guy cashes he's, in.
1: You know, he's he's yeah, he would have cashed in his second year for sure, right?
0: right. Not as a recruit,
1: but. but yeah, the the one that would be interesting. What would actually be super interesting would be like, what would a Cam Newton get in today's market? <laughs>
0: I mean, I was talking to Missouri's women's basketball coach a couple of days ago, and I know your people probably don't super know a lot about Missouri women's basketball, but there was a girl from Columbia, plays for the Phoenix Mercury now. Attractive girl named Sophie Cunningham. A few years ago, yeah, I, I asked the the women's basketball coach. I said, "How many times has Sophie called you and said she came three years too soon?" And she said, "Oh, she'd have been a millionaire, you know." I I mean, for a women's basketball player.
1: Yeah, and she was maybe the most recognizable athlete on the Missouri campus for a while. Yeah. 100%.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. What do you think about, i am I'm gonna get to Dennis Gates and stuff in a minute, and I'll probably circle back to football, but I do want to get your just 30,000 foot view of what's happening with NIL. You've covered, you and I have been doing this for about the same amount of time. We've, yeah. we've both seen college football and college basketball and stuff completely transform here in the last few years. When people say this isn't sustainable, do you do you agree or do you – I mean, there's all these calls for, hey, we got to fix this. And I don't know about you, Gabe, and you and I have talked about this some, but I am always ask the question when I – people say it has to be fixed. And when someone says, well, how do you fix it? I mean, if it has to be fixed, they are go, like, well, I don't know. And when everyone says, I don't know, it tells me it's not going to get – it. in other words, it just – the market just has to settle – The frontier has to be settled. And then at that point you sit back and look at it and go, what do we have? And I think that's,
0: well, well, and I think again, if Nigel Pack makes a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Like college basketball makes a lot of money. Cool. Uh, I, and again, if he makes four hundred thousand dollars, I don't care. Somebody thinks he's worth that. I guess that's what he's worth, right? Uh, um, I mean, I probably make too much for what I make. Eli Drinkwitz tells us every time we talk to him, he's overpaid. You know, but that is sports are that important to these people who have the money. And I get who am I to tell them how to spend their money? Now, do I think it's sustainable to for an SEC football roster to cost? I don't know, six to $10 million a year on top of what these fans are already giving to have the scholarships and build the buildings and all that. I wouldn't think so. But again, I, my mistake at the beginning of this was underestimating how important good sports teams are to people that have a lot of money. I I mean, it just, if the money continues to be there, I don't know why it's not sustainable. Um, You know, and you got to, I mean, for these players right now, I would say, hey, go do everything you can to get yours now, because literally the funniest thing is that we're nine months in and they're already having meetings about, oh, well. We probably ought to put some rules in. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that would have been a good idea at the start. But, like, you guys do it however you want to do it. It's it's fine. You know, I, 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 my, my mom was a teacher. She used to tell me, you know, like, the best advice she got was, at the beginning, you be a hard ass. Because it's always easier to loosen up, right? If you go in and you let a, a classroom of seventh graders, like, have no rules for a month, you can't put rules in in the second month. Like, it's they're late. not going to follow it. It's yeah. too late. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're
1: they kicked the can down the road for the better part of a decade. Yep. And then all of a sudden went, you know what? Open the doors,
0: let it all in. And, and, and then they act surprised that <laughs> what, what do you mean? Boosters are paying players. What? Well, it, But here's the thing that I actually think is the problem with it is it is not actually name, image, and likeness for the current college players. Right. I, I mean, uh, Missouri has uh, their leading returning receiver is a kid named Towski Dove. He's a fifth-year senior. He's not a great player, but he's got 1,000 yards receiving in his career. He's made some good plays. Uh, you know, He's put in his time, done a lot of stuff here. I would be shocked if Towski Dove has an NIL deal, and I would be shocked if Luther Burden isn't getting six figures. He's never played a college down. That's what it now is. It's, it, it, it has nothing to do with your current players. They're already here. The players getting all this money are the recruits and the transfers, which is exactly what they said it wasn't supposed to be, right? And so also then, what about what about a team that has like a, an all-conference left guard, right? Two-year starter, going to play in the NFL, all-SEC, really good player, probably getting nothing, but now he's going to watch some four-star kid out of high school come in and make $50,000. I don't think I'd want to be a coach in charge of that locker room. No, oh, it's not going to go over
1: well in the locker room. That's yeah. where that and that, that left guard. If I am him, I have my people put in some calls. Yeah, check with check with Georgia, check with Alabama, check with Florida, check with Tennessee, check with USC. See if they need a guard. Yep. I've got the I've got the chops right here. I'll go.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, and it, well, Drinkwood said something last week. I thought was was pretty good. He said we could have handled the the no sitting out transfer rule, and we could have handled NIL. We couldn't handle them both at the same time. You know, them both happening at the same time just blew this up. And like, look, I guess I get fans who are saying, well, this lessens my interest in the sport. That's that's your right if true, you want to do that. But they're going to play games. And, it, you know, Dennis Gates said last week, hey, they're still going to have a national title game and somebody's still going to raise a trophy. And as long as they're doing that, we're going to do everything we can to be in it. And fans are like the fans that aren't going to care are the fans of teams who aren't good. Right. And And does this greatly change? what old miss or miss missouri is in the sec no georgia and alabama were always better a- and they're still going to be better missouri and old miss are still going to have to find ways to beat those teams with less talent now what it maybe changes is maybe if you're arkansas and tennessee it helps you out a little bit right because you've got some crazy fans with some money that maybe a lot of people don't know about but i don't think it greatly changes the hierarchy of things
1: yeah, I tend to agree with that completely. Um, you mentioned Drinkwits. I'm curious, what's he like to cover on a... What's, what's he like? Because he, he comes across on TV as kind of this, I don't know, kind of nerdy, gooby guy. And
0: I mean, kind of, he's a huge smartass. Yeah. Like, he could sit here and trade barbs with you and me on this show, and he would have very much fun doing it. And he would be very proud of the jokes he makes and the insults <laughs> he hurls, just like we are. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, which I... like. So when I was in college, I covered Norm Stewart, who was, I mean, I didn't ask Norm a question for six weeks because I was scared he was going to be like, that's the dude, Armands' kid, student. I'm going to make an example out of him, right? So I just shut up until I knew Norm had some idea I wasn't a complete idiot. But then the problem is over the last 15 years, coaches know if they're an asshole to reporters, especially if it's like young reporters, they're going to end up on SportsCenter and they're going to have to tell somebody they're sorry, even if they don't really mean it. You ask a stupid question. Drinkwitz lets you know that he thinks you asked a stupid question, which I respect. Don't ask stupid questions. I think it's fine. It doesn't bother me.
1: You mentioned Dennis Gates a minute ago. Um, He's kind of renovated that roster in in a pretty short period of time at, at Missouri. What have your impressions been?
0: Well, he's going to end up with 10 new players, which uh, breaks the program record of nine new players set last year by Konzo Martin, which translated to a 12 and 21 season, which is why he's no longer the coach. Um, But I mean, he's gotten some guys that, you know, Noah Carter had a, a Florida visit scheduled and he's gotten some guys that have other high major options, which people like Sean East was the junior college player of the year. Um, you know, they're they're interested in Jamariun Sharp from Western Kentucky to seven five kid. Now, uh, you're also starting to hear some numbers thrown around by places like Memphis and Houston. And that one that could make it pretty interesting. But he played junior college ball for a guy that Gates hired. So what are the numbers you hear, um, upper six figures. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Is not it upper six figures for a kid that for a year? Eight point six points, seven rebounds. Yeah, that was just the, led the country in block shots. But I mean, it was it was it was good. But
1: he wasn't. He didn't blow things away at Western Kentucky. I mean, they weren't exactly a dominant program.
0: Right. Yeah. It's. Uh, but hey, uh, we'll we'll see. But I, I mean, he's turned things over. But anytime there's new, right? There's this hope. There's. Oh, I mean, I said they needed to fire Conzo because you're you're either selling success or hope. And they weren't selling success at that time, so they needed to sell hope, and they weren't going to do that if he came back. So Gates is in, and and everybody's, you know, oh, my God, this is great. We have all these new guys. Can we be a tournament team? I mean, in the end, it's going to come down to did he evaluate mid-major transfers better than Konzo did? I I don't know. I mean, I think it was a good hire, but we'll see. I'm actually speaking to NIL, so tell me what you think of this. Okay. I've said privately, and I guess I'm now saying it publicly, uh, but but I think Missouri's best approach would actually be take all your NIL money and pour it into basketball because you can win the SDC in that. You can win a national title in that. I don't think you can in football because I just don't think you can get enough guys. Now, it won't ever be done because football is king, but I think some of these schools that aren't, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, USC might be good to say, hey, where could we find something? That if we dump because like five million dollars, that's going to buy you a hell of a basketball team. Oh, big time! I mean, It'll I've buy heard like a middle of the road SEC football team.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I've heard some numbers on what some of the top recruits are getting, and you could, if you put three or four million together, you you could put four or five of those guys on the floor every year. And if I were Kentucky, that's what I would do. I'd like, pour my- I, I think.
0: Well, and I think Kentucky will, but like. Look at Arkansas. Like, I think the general feeling is that that roster is probably going to have cost them somewhere between three and five million dollars by the time it's all put together. Right. So Yeah, because one one player I've already heard a number, which is like 750. Right. And Whether so true or
1: not, I don't know. But if you extrapolate the roster out, yeah, it's probably that. I mean, and I think they're a school that probably ha- they probably should think about it. Right. But right. The problem, so they
0: they the problem it. is. They're preseason number two, they pack the building, they win the SEC and Musselman takes them to a final four or a national title. Totally worth it. Right? It's totally worth it. The problem
1: at a place like that, maybe even at a place like Kentucky, is if you just abandon football, it is such a barren landscape for the entire fall.
0: But I'm not saying abandon it. I'm saying if you're Missouri, if you're Arkansas, if you're and I, I don't think the passion for basketball is there. It'll miss. I don't think no. it applies. It'll miss. But, um, you know, if you're Missouri, you're Arkansas, you're somewhere like that. OK, pour that into basketball. Do whatever Arkansas is going to do next year. And I'm not saying you just don't support the football program at all, but like you can still get to seven and five in football. Right. You schedule the right way. You get a handful of guys. You're not catching the big dogs, but like you can still beat South Carolina and Missouri and Mississippi State probably. So, yeah, have a, have a football team that goes to a bowl game and a basketball team that like contends for national titles rather than having a football team that if you pour all your resources into football at those places, you're still probably only going eight and four, nine and three. And your basketball team's significantly worse because they're not getting that money. I think it's a
1: valid point. I mean, I think you look at, well, take Arkansas, for example. I mean, It's, it's kind of like we've said, uh, I said this about Ole Miss earlier in the in the week. I was asking Chase, said, when was the last time Ole Miss won the national championship in football? It was like 1960-something. I don't remember. I'm not a historian. In the 50 subsequent years, and Ole Miss has had some really good teams. But in the 50 subsequent years, how many years would you say that Ole Miss was realistically a national title contender at any point in that season, and it's like three, three four yeah. times maybe. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's a time or two more than that. Maybe it's a time or two less. I don't know, but you get my point, right? I mean, nothing's really changed. You're still in the same category of program as it pertains to NIL and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I would, I mean, guess, when was the last time Arkansas won the national title in football? Was it in the 60s, I think? 68, maybe. Something like that, yeah. So, Just call it call it sixty eight for the sheer hell of it. It's been basically fifty years again. So you you know fifty some odd years. In those years, how many times was Arkansas truly a national title contender in football? Maybe twice. Maybe. You know. So, is it realistic to pour all your money into football and go, hey, we're going to compete for the national title because you're not
0: right. And then maybe if you do that in basketball, maybe you have more people that are like hey, I, I, I'm fired up about Arkansas sports. And so then maybe you get to the point where you say, well, what about throwing some of that toward the football program? Yeah,
1: maybe so. Maybe, maybe you do it from the inside out at some of these places. That's in, It's an interesting thought. I, I just – it's what I do wonder about market settling down, right, is when people start throwing all this money into it, going this is going to make us competitive, this is going to make us really competitive, and then you see that, hey, nothing's really changed. I almost kind of wonder if people go, you know what, this is stupid.
0: It, it all goes back to when Missouri came into the SEC in two thousand twelve. Missouri fans were so fired up. Hey, we made whatever it was, like fifty-four million a year in the Big Twelve, and now we're making ninety. And I said, Yeah, but everybody else making ninety. Like right. what you've gone from is a hundred thousand dollar house that was like the fourth nicest house in your neighborhood to a two hundred thousand dollar house that's like the twelfth nicest house in your neighborhood. So it's a nicer house but it actually looks worse because it's around a whole bunch of other really nice houses, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's about to get even tougher because two massive brands are walking into the league. I mean, Oklahoma just struck a deal with ESPN and all that stuff. I mean, you know, not everybody's getting those deals, obviously.
0: Right. But my my favorite tweet that I saw after the NFL draft was that the SEC had 65 players drafted and it said, imagine if Texas had been in the league, they would have had 65 players drafted. Oh. Yeah.
1: You you're f- more familiar with them than a lot of people. We'll, we'll finish with this. How do you think Texas will acclimate to the SEC when it joins?
0: Well, in the age of NIL, they should just be able to throw millions of dollars at things, right? They yeah. have a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but they have two problems. A&M has become at least on equal footing in that state, probably. Um, and also like, they've had the talent advantage over everybody for a year. It's not like they're recruiting has sucked. I mean, they've gotten four and five stars every single year under all these different coaches, and yet, like, their record, this is not an exaggeration. They're about two games better as a football program than Missouri over the last 11 years, and they have won fewer division titles than Missouri in that time span. You know, It's the coaching so, thing. It's it, yeah, I don't know what it is, but they do, they just keep hiring. A, they've continued to hire guys that haven't been the right guy. I mean, Oklahoma's the dominant football program in the Big Twelve, and
1: yeah, they've dominated it for a decade or or more. Do you think they can? What what is what's where does Oklahoma hit in the hierarchy of the SEC when they join?
0: They're like uh, LSU ish like the, which is uh, currently anyway it's not alabama and it's not georgia right but it's right there it's lsu it's florida it's in the right year you know it's it's maybe we're not going to win it every year but but we're going to be in contention and and we've got a shot to win it every year i mean they're going to be a four. I, I, I still find it fascinating that OU's in the big 12 because like or in the sec because bob stoops from everything I heard way back when, when we were conference realignment every day, like wanted no part of, it, you know, and, and now it's here they the, are 10 years later.
1: It's the money. They made a money decision. They made a money decision that I think other teams are going to do. I think that's where this is headed. You've talked about this before. I I, I I, don't think the SEC sits at 16 for very long at all. I, I think it gets bigger because people, big name big brand programs look at the money know that espn would pay more if or disney whatever would pay more if they jumped in and i I think it's inevitable
0: if it goes to like this 32 team super league with the big 10 and the sec or something i'll be honest that's the point where i go i'm not sure i'm interested anymore oh really yeah you know i mean it's great i guess it's great if you're one of those teams but like One of the things I like about college football and covering it is, hey, I get to go to Oxford. Hey, I get to cover a game, a bowl game that they play North Carolina, which that's never going to happen regularly. right? I mean, look, I love the NFL, but I don't know. The Chiefs play pretty much eight of the same teams every year, right? And there's not that much variety you can have in a schedule. Part of it is going different places and seeing different things. And you and I have talked about for a million years. I mean, look, if you want your team to win a title, this is the stupidest sport in creation, right? Part of it is the other stuff. Like, yeah, just win as many games as you can. But, hey, I get to cover... You know, the, the Sun Bowl, I get to go see a, a game there and, and go to El Paso. And then I, maybe I can go to a, a, a game that, you know, they played at Boston College last year and you just get different experiences. And if you become this homogenous, just kind of NFL light, a lot of that goes away. I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, there's still some time. Maybe it maybe. Fortunately, we're really old and we might retire soon anyways. That's true. Yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> not getting any younger trying, but not getting there. Hey, uh, thanks for the time. I gave you like four minutes notice on this, and you were kind enough to do it, so I really appreciate it.
0: You're good, man. I mean, I work super hard every day, but I was, <laughs> I was not busy today. So. <laughs> I'll see you soon, Gabe. All right, see ya.
1: That was my friend Gabe DeArmond earlier today. covers Missouri for com. Gabe, Gabe and I taught journalism a lot. A story in journalism today. Journalism circles sports journalism to be specific. It's a Darren Rovell tweet, but this comes from the New York Times. It's the operating losses for The Athletic. And for the record, I love The Athletic. I, I subscribe. I read it every day. Uh, I look at The Athletic Pulse every morning before uh, the Oxford Exxon podcast. Um, and if you read 10 Weekend Thoughts, I probably half of the stuff that I link is from The Athletic. I'm a big fan. But the numbers here they speak for themselves. In 2019, the Athletic had an operating loss of $54 million. In 2020, in large part because they didn't pay for uh, riders to travel much, $41 million loss. In 2021, back to a $55 million loss. Maybe something Chase and I talk about next week. I've got a theory on this. I actually have a number of theories on this, but the two that stick out are um, it's hard to get people to subscribe for uh, news, for sports, even though you basically subscribe if you own a phone. You're subscribing because you're paying all sorts of fees that go to Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, but it's hard to get people to subscribe to sites like mine, to sites like Gabe's, and to sites like The Athletic's when people can get some of the stuff on Twitter, the highlights. And then my other theory is, my generation grew up reading the sports page. I mean, I can remember as a kid in Ruston, Louisiana, getting up and reading the Monroe News Star, reading the Shreveport Times, and the Afternoons, reading the Ruston Daily Leader. We're used to reading uh, long form journalism. We read sports. Um, my kids, Gabe's kids, your kids, they didn't, they are used to having a phone in their hands. They're used to social media. They're used to getting things in very condensed form. They're used to YouTube. They're more visual. They watch more than they read. And I don't know that the, I don't know that the, um, the model works. You see newspapers completely going out of business, um, subscription based uh, newspapers are operating on a shoestring. The athletic on the other hand went out and basically hired everybody who was anybody in our field. Their product is fantastic. Their writing is terrific. The content is amazing and they're losing money hand over fist. And now that the New York times owns them, they're probably short for this world. It's not a secret that people working for the athletic are trying to get out, trying to find places to land. Um, borrowed time when you're losing $55 million a year. It's probably a slow death, but a death nonetheless. Got my mouse in the wrong spot. All right, so uh, pay a couple bills here, and then we'll get to uh, Ryan Brown of the next round for some more college football talk. We're brought to you by Pinnacle. Represents clients in more than 20 states. They've got advisors in uh, multiple states. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and so much more. To learn more about Pinnacle, go to MyPinnWealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N-Wealth.com. Brought to you by John Edwards, Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. John's part of Virtuoso, its a worldwide network of travel partners that allows him to supply his clients with added values, unique benefits, simply not available to other travelers. Get in touch with him, give him some parameters, give him a budget, and let him give you options. And know this: you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 901-494-3387 or J Edwards at RegencyTravel.net. Brought to you by OPA, Oxford's newest restaurant on the square. They've got euros, wraps, kebabs, redfish, lamb chops, handcrafted cocktails, frozen libations, an amazing candlelit patio. All of that at 306 South Lamar, just south of the Square Courthouse in Oxford. Brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great uh, lease deals as well. It's com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all of your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. You can reach her at 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. I've had several people this week contact me about service specialist staffing and recruiting agency. They've been connecting great job opportunities to candidates since 1967 if you're on the job hunt. Uh, They can help you if you are looking for uh, quality candidates. They can help you as well. Uh, The key thing to remember here is that payment of service is solely contingent on if you decide to hire a candidate that they send, it's always free for the candidate. So you've really got nothing to lose. Give Will, Sidney, or Kelsey a call at 662-832-5138 or check out their new and improved website at servicespecialistltd.com. The uh, Peyton Chattonet Show is uh, up here on MPW Digital at rebelgrove.com. Uh, my visit with the Ole Miss second baseman is brought to you by The Rogue. It's your destination for fine men's clothing. Their stylist hand-select pieces from top designers from work to lifestyle to nightlife. There's the perfect something for everyone at The Rogue. Uh, this month of May, in honor of all the graduations, buy any two items from their collegiate collection, whether it's Ole Miss gear, Mississippi State, Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, whatever the case may be buy any two uh, pieces of clothing from the collegiate collection and take 20% off your total purchase at the rogue 4450 i55 north in jackson or therogue.com. let's see we've got uh, a couple questions in the thread um octavian wants to know how i think florida is going to do this season i don't really know but we're uh, stay tuned a little bit later in the show michael Bratton of um that sccpodcast.com has thoughts on just about everybody gators included so you can catch up with him um alan says i subscribe and use the everyday to talk with the athletic but they weren't closer to profitability in covid year i don't know how they'll make it they've done one dollar subscriptions yeah and and they're leaning almost exclusively on the subscription model and then they do the one dollar things i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna talk about a, a competitor here. That's, that's kicking ass right now is on three, but so much of their growth in year one was on this $1 for a year thing. What happens when that goes away? Do people continue to subscribe when the $1 turns into $100 or do they cancel? I don't know. Curious. The same people who built uh, rivals turned around and they've built on three and they've done a really good job. They have. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but they've done a really good job in the market building sites. But I can't help but wonder what happens when you get away from some of the inaugural uh, offerings when you go to regular prices. People continue to subscribe. I don't know. Speaking of cutting-edge people, uh, Ryan Brown of um, The Next Round, he and Jim Dunaway, and those guys – broke away from the traditional radio model. They started their own streaming model at uh, The Next Round based in Birmingham. They've done a tremendous job. Uh, Ryan is kind enough to be on this network all the time. And uh, I was a guest on his show not so long ago, which sort of prompted uh, some thoughts from me. So we talk about that and more here with Ryan Brown of The Next Round on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. My good friend Ryan Brown of the Next Round in uh, Birmingham, kind enough to spend some time with us. Ryan, first of all, how are you?
3: Neil, I am fantastic. It's been too long. I've uh, actually visited Oxford since we last uh, did an interview. I hope you're doing well.
1: I, I know your daughter uh, took a took a, a an official vi- official visit, I should say. I guess it was unofficial because you paid for it, but it, it was <laughs> it was a a visit to our fair town. How did it go?
3: Uh, It went very well. She loved Ole Miss. I think it's number two on her list um, right now. So, you know, we're waiting to see what kind of offers we get from uh, NIL uh, to to make our decision. But uh, she was, I mean, I would imagine, you tell me, you live there, you tell me. So, State was in town for baseball. Uh, It was Grove Bowl. The weather was spectacular. It was Double Decker Festival weekend. I, I, I don't know that you could visit on a better weekend, could you?
1: No, it was pretty good, and from a weather standpoint, like you said, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, it, yeah, that was that was pretty good. Um, it, well, Oxford's had a few pretty pretty cool weekends in the last year when LSU was here for football, uh, when Texas A and M was here for football, um, and then yeah, that that weekend that was fun. It was good to have double decker back in town after the two cancellations or whatever with COVID and stuff. It was good to have that back, and there were a lot, lot, a lot of people. Uh, in town Uh, that weekend so
3: yeah let let me say for your and I'll say this um unsolicited for those that that follow you and are members of your side and love Ole Miss um and I I haven't had a ton of these but i go with my daughter on several of these the presentation there's a girl named Brooke Roberts and some of your followers may know her um her name stuck with me she just she's the one that presented to the group and then we split off with students she is such a good representative from Ole Miss, and she went to school there. Uh, I would have enrolled at that moment. I mean, the sell they put on the kids that are coming in there is just spectacular. I can see why people visit Ole Miss and say, That's where I want to go to school. And my daughter, for the record, would love to go to school at Ole Miss. Um, her major just doesn't work very well there. And that's part of the problem, uh, her desired major. So, you know, it may not end up working out. But I'm telling you, man, the face that the people at Ole Miss put on that school. It's absolutely terrific. That that tour is top notch.
1: So if she ever goes into the transfer portal, they'll already <laughs> look out. Have to pick up. Right. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Look out. All right, so I want to talk some football with you. We'll, we might do some NIL stuff, but we've beaten NIL to death this week. I bet you guys have too. Um, mm-hmm. Almost to the point where I I'm, I caught myself today. Or, or we're taping this on Wednesday. You're seeing this on Thursday. Maybe you're hearing it on Friday. But Chase was Chase was talking to me about nil and i caught myself for the first time in a long time having a hard time paying attention and staying locked actually yeah, Because yeah. it just i don't know where that all that stuff's going i i, I have some suspicions but you know you anyway, know i'll get to it in a minute i was on your show well, was two weeks ago maybe a week ago i don't remember um I it was after your daughter's visit, so it was after that week. Yeah, it was, it
3: was uh, Tuesday uh, Tuesday after the Grove Bowl because we were talking about the quarterback battle, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Jim Dunaway, who I've known for a long time, asked me a question that I think Jim thought it bothered me, and it didn't. It just caught me off guard because I'd never thought about it that way. He said, what, what are the odds that Ole Miss is undefeated when – I think he said when Alabama comes to town or, or, or when they go to Texas A&M or whichever game is the ninth game. And I didn't, I had to go through the schedule in my mind. I'm still kind of getting to the place where I have the schedule memorized. And um, I started kind of doing the math. I'm like, well, that's Kentucky and Auburn and Vanderbilt. I was like, so you're saying eight and oh, you know? And, and he was like, yeah, I mean, who's going to beat them. And, I I was kind of flabbergasted, really. I started thinking about it like I've never thought about it that way. Not one time have I thought, oh, yeah, they could be undefeated going into the ninth game of the season, which is either Alabama or Texas A&M or or whatever. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, that's kind of the outside impression of where Ole Miss is right now. You guys do a lot of college football in your show. I mean, it is the the primary staple of, of your show. Is that the the way people view Ole Miss going into this year? That because the way the schedule sort of shapes up, that they could be in the national conversation come the final third of the season?
2: Yeah,
3: I mean, I don't, I don't think. And this may not have been earned by him. It may be some of what we saw from Lane Kiffin with Nick Saban. But I think that's more for Jim. I'll speak for on his behalf because I know I've heard him talk about it. I think that's a little bit of his faith in Lane Kiffin. I think he feels like once Kiffin has gotten this started, and whether it's Luke Altmaier or Jackson Dart, Lane Kiffin's going to get the best play out of them. You're going to have a defense that's going to have you as a difficult out for anybody you play. The defense took great strides. Now, obviously, there's a change in defensive coordinator, but it's taken great strides. So, I mean, I think that's where he's coming from. Now, you know I liked Ole Miss last year because I said to you, I said on this show and then did yours and a lot of other shows over there where I said 10-2, and 2 and I ended up somehow being right. You nailed it. I, I don't know – yeah, I don't know that I feel that way about Ole Miss this year. I'm feeling a little more 8-4-ish. and four-ish. I don't think they'll be undefeated. I think it was A&M game we were talking about because the Alabama game's late this year, Yeah, later than normal.
1: Yeah, Alabama's 10th um, Alabama's yeah, so game. You're right. So A&M is yeah. the ninth game, and I think that was, in fairness to Jim, I think that was his question, what were the odds that Ole Miss is undefeated when it goes to Texas A&M, and I was doing this math and stuff. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: Well, you know, and you make the point of, say, Auburn, where it would look on paper like, okay, Ole Miss, big favorite over Auburn, just, you know, keep moving. However, I've seen the last two years of Ole Miss playing Auburn when that was a six-win Auburn team that fired their coach and a seven-win Auburn team that wanted to fire their coach. Yeah. And – or a six-win Auburn team that wanted to fire their coach. And um, Ole Miss has lost both those games, and – I I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that Ole Miss wasn't the superior team over Auburn last year. Now, I know Corral went out of the game. Allmire had to play. That didn't go real well for him. Corral came back, tried to play hurt. Um, So, you know, you can't just say, oh, that's a given. Ole Miss is going to beat Auburn. They've struggled in that game. Kentucky, look, I think this is crazy talk, but I've seen people – I've seen a CBS Sports Draft that has Will Levis as a top-five pick.
1: I saw now, two I saw two drafts that have Will Levis in the top 10.
3: Okay, so answer this question for me. Let me answer your question for the question. We discussed this yesterday. We're laughing at Will Levis being a draft pick in the top 10. If Will Levis is a top 10 pick, from what you know of Mark Stoops, I tell you, Will Levis is a top 10 pick, and Chris Rodriguez is back at running back, which he is, what do you think their record is? If he's a top ten pick, if Will Levis is a top ten pick, what is Kentucky's record?
1: If if Will Levis is a top ten pick with the offensive front that they have, with the continuity in their program that they have, with Rodriguez there, with some of the receivers that are still there, they lost a little on defense on the up front, but in the back seven they're really good. Oh, I would tell you they're a ten and two team. I would tell you they yeah. are. They yeah, are. So. What, they're. 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 Ne- they're this year's Ole Miss. mm Hmm.
3: So, I mean, I, that's far from a team that I can just say oh, Ole Miss. They beat Kentucky. So, mm-hmm. um, I, no, that to, to, to your to your question, that is not my expectation for Ole Miss. I, I don't think they go into basically go into November, go into the last quarter of the season undefeated. Could they be a one or two loss team? Yeah, yeah. And then if you know, look, if things fall right, you get Alabama and Oxford. You know. Area. Last time Alabama played in Oxford, it was a game none of us could have imagined, right? So, yeah, things fall right. Maybe, maybe Ole Miss finds a way to be a ten and two, but I, I just, I don't think they go into November undefeated.
1: Yeah, I don't either. In large part because I just don't necessarily believe. And this is not an indictment on the players for their body of their careers, because I think, I think both guys have a chance to be really good college quarterbacks. But I'm not sure either one of them is ready to step in and, and hey, man, I'm just putting put an SEC team on my back. Let's roll. And they might not have to with Zach Evans at running back and Ulysses Bennett at running back. And they've got a lot of weapons. Lane's been able to, once again, do what he never gets credit for doing, which is sort of build the foundation for a really good running game. Everybody with for whatever reason, I guess because we in the media are just lazy as hell. We do this thing of, it's Lane Kiffin, man. They're going to sling it all over the place. I'm like, well, they run it a lot, and they typically run it pretty effectively. And I think this team will run it effectively. I just question whether they'll be explosive enough to win some of those games.
3: You know, Derrick Henry won the Heisman because Lane Kiffin runs it so much. You know how many carries Derrick Henry had in that season? I mean, a ton. It was like, it was like, it was like a 395 or something crazy. I mean, Lane Kiffin ran Derrick Henry into the ground. It's what one in the Heisman, you're right about that. Now, I think the reason we do that is because I do think Lane is very good at developing quarterbacks, or at least he's gotten that label. I think he did it at Alabama. I think he developed quarterbacks very well at Alabama. Now, I, I, I had some people in the business that told me it's, you know, it's smoke and mirrors. The one thing Lane does very well is he, from the sideline, tells the quarterback, there's your hot receiver, throw it there. That's not developing. That's spoon-feeding. Whatever the case is, he gets the best out of his quarterbacks, I think, or as good as you can out of your quarterback. So I think that's why we think he's throwing it all over the field, but you're absolutely right. The one thing Lane Kiffin doesn't get enough credit for is his dedication to running the football.
1: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing with Kiffin, and we're just coming off the corral draft where Matt fell in the draft, and, and, and that's not what made Matt fall. But it's 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 a funny thing that that comes up like that about you know how good of a, a quarterback developer is he when it in fairness to him and I've I've given this a lot of thought like how do you articulate this It's his job ultimately to win football games. That's 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 his job. They're paying him seven point five million dollars to win football games, and he would be not doing his job if on the field a guy who is as sort of rain man smart as it pertains to recognizing a defense, immediately going, here's the play that would work against this. Hey, here's your read, go. And simplifying that down so that the quarterback who probably doesn't have that mind process, not picking on Matt Corral or Blake Sims or anybody else who's ever played quarterback for Lane, but I mean, Lane's, some people say he's the best play caller in all of football, any football. So he sees stuff, he wouldn't be doing a service if he didn't guide a quarterback through a game. And then at the end of a season, the quarterback, the NFL says, well, not really sure that guy knows knows how to read defenses. So it's kind of a catch 22 from a and then and then that's used against him in quarterback recruiting. Like, hey, if you go there, you're not going to develop as a quarterback. I don't think that's completely fair because I, that doesn't take into account, hey, throughout the course of the week, throughout the offseason, throughout the summer looking at film, watching stuff together. Hey, here's what I'm seeing. This is what I'm trying to show you how to do. So it's kind of, there's a lot there in other words. with with
3: yeah, Here's what I would say, Neil, is, you know, in his three, I'll just talk about his time in Alabama, because I think it, I think it showed he was able to do it in Alabama. So his first year was Blake Sims, who was a converted running back. And when he finished that season, it was the best single season in Alabama history for quarterback. it obviously has since been eclipsed. There's you know Tungablowa and Bryce Young have played there since then. Sure. Um, his second his second year was Jake Coker, who was a transferred to Alabama and only played that one year. So his first two years, I got a guy that's just now starting, and I'm taking him as a starter and holding him. His third year. They started Blake Barnett, did not go well for a couple of possessions, and then went to Jalen Hurts as a true freshman. So his his quarterbacks were Blake Sims, converted running back, first year as a starter, Jake Coker, transfer in, first year as a starter, Jalen Hurts, true freshman. And he got pretty high-level play out of all three of those guys, uh, won a national championship with one of them, went to the playoffs with two of them uh, before he ultimately left in that second playoff run, and Sarkeesian took over for the championship game. You know, look, you're at Alabama, so you're playing with a stacked deck anyway, but I think you've got to give him credit for what he got out of the quarterback position with all three of those guys, one, only one of which, by the way, is starting in the NFL or even playing in the NFL right now.
1: I, I always go back to that 2016 game in Oxford. Um, Ole Miss jumped on Alabama that day, and I, mm-hmm. I, I think it was Marquise Haynes just depleted um Jalen Hurts, fumbled, fumbled. I remember right, it was John Youngblood who picked it up and and ran it in for a touchdown. And at that point, Ole Miss is up big. And you're going, man, this quarterback, he's a freshman. He's in a hostile environment for the first time, really. They're in trouble. And Lane Kiffin and Jalen Hurts had one of the best second halves of football that I've seen in a long time. That was Chad Kelly and Ole Miss. Ole Miss kept scoring on Alabama, if you remember. Oh, they did, yeah. I mean, yep. that wasn't, uh, that, that wasn't, oh, fluky, rollover. I mean, that ended up not being a very good Ole Miss team. But on that day, they had Alabama on the ropes. They were weeks removed from just blowing Georgia off the field in, in Oxford. And um, I think it was Kirby's first year. Uh, they, But regardless, they kept scoring, and so – Lane Kiffin and Jalen Hurts had to get it going and get it going good, or they were going to lose that day in Oxford. And I remember leaving the stadium that day really impressed with the game that that Kiffin called.
3: And, and to bring this whole conversation full circle, if you'll go back to that game, his memory served. Now, you may go back and look at that and say, no, Brown, you got that wrong. The one thing he never did was abandon the run. He never panicked and or said, stayed. oh, my gosh. He, he stayed, stayed with the it. run. He stayed, stayed with the it. game plan, yeah.
1: Stayed and at it and, to Lane and he let the kid get settled back in. I realize he's an NFL quarterback yeah. today, but on that day, Jalen Hurts was a kid and oh, and, yeah. and he was, he he had to nurse him through that for a minute because, Hey, it was, Hey, get right back on the field, bud. And Vaught Hemingway was mm-hmm. jumping at that point. And you know, you, you throw yeah. a pick right there and it's probably done. But in, if I remember right, they marched down the field and scored and kind of turned momentum. And then like, you know, you know, the rest of it, and I just, I remember being really impressed by that. It was the day that, that, for me, Kiffin sort of got on my radar. I started thinking about, hey, man, what a fifth this guy would be here. It's why a year later, the day that Old Miss Hired Matt Luke, I wrote Old Miss Should Hire Lane Kiffin. And here we are years later. But um, now I, I don't know. So I, I'm curious. I don't know if you got a chance to watch any of the Grove Bowl or if you talked to people about it or whatnot. What did you think of Jackson Dart, Luke Altmaier? What do you sort of anticipate from that, from what you hear?
3: Why I, I'm very surprised, honestly. And listen, this is unfair to Altmeier, but I am, you know, I watched Jackson Dark play um, last year at USC. Now, granted, it turns out he was throwing to the first receiver drafted in the NFL draft. And uh, uh, so, you know, obviously, he, he at least had one good NFL player around him. Uh, and then I watched Luke Altmeyer play against Auburn, where he looked very overwhelmed, didn't, you know, didn't appear ready for the moment. And then watch him in the bowl game. And as soon as Corral went out hurt, I nine, mean, Ole Miss struggled to score after that. They only scored seven in that game, am I right? Against Baylor,
1: that's correct. Yeah, you know,
3: granted, that's a you know, it's Dave Miranda. It's good defense. I get all that, but still, I just, I mean, I, I, I thought, and I'm and listen. I, I make an error in this sometimes because I always look at it. If a program goes out and gets a guy out of the portal, they get him for a reason, right? They want him to start. So I come in predisposed to thinking Jackson Dart has a leg up. So when I hear coming out of the Grove Bowl, people like yourself and everybody around that game say, hey, this battle is not over. That surprises me. I had already given this battle. I I, I, I called the election too early, Neil. I'd already <laughs> given. Already given the state of Mississippi to Jackson Dart, so <laughs> I'm I, I'm surprised that this is still a battle, and it's one reason I'm hesitant to say, "Hey, this is going to be another ten win type of year for Ole Miss."
1: Your decision desk is having a an Al Gore George W. Bush moment. You're having to pull it, back. you're having to pull it back, and go, hey, it's too close to call. And I do think right now it's too close to call. Um, a couple of big picture things. I'm gonna have but about ten minutes left with you. I do want to get your thoughts on a couple of these things. So it appears that legislation is coming out here in the next couple of weeks maybe is maybe before that that they're going to scrap this whole 25 32 thing and just go you got 85 scholarships deal with them as you will effective immediately. That's going to lead schools that say okay well we got some dead weight here let's process it right now right? That's going to happen and they're going to go find some guys in the portal that are already in the portal to take I mean it, This feels like another example of the NCAA going, okay, this is a good idea. Now let's figure out the best way to implement it. But instead of doing that, they're like, screw it here. Yeah.
3: So what it feels like it's going to lead to, and I got a lot of thoughts on this, but what it feels like it's going to lead to is, you know, growing up in this state people used to always talk about how Bear Bryant would go recruit a kid just because he, he he wasn't certain he could play at Alabama, but he didn't want him playing at Tennessee or at Auburn or at Mississippi State or at Ole Miss, right? So he would recruit them, and they could sign all they wanted. But here's the difference between then and now. Back then, that happens, and you're stuck on Alabama's bench, and you really have no recourse. What are you going to do? You know, transfer and sit out two years? Now I can transfer and play immediately elsewhere. So this feels like to me – that, hey, you're going to get some of that, right? I'm going to convince two kids you're coming here to play, but one of them, I'm not certain he can play. I just don't want him elsewhere, right? But now that kid can go immediately. What this feels like to me is the schools going to the NCAA and saying, all right, we're cool with freedom of movement. We're cool with an We're cool with all this. But it has become impossible for us to manage our roster. you got to give us some relief. you got to give us a way we can manage our rosters better. And maybe I'm wrong, Neil. You, you you follow recruiting way closer than I do. This feels like a little easier way for schools to manage their roster, which is what you were indicating. Now, you indicated it from kind of the negative side of it of like, if a kid can't play, I'm going to lose to we're nine. I'm processing him out. But it does feel like a way I can manage my roster much easier than if I'm limited on an annual basis versus if I'm limited on a four-year window basis.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm probably guilty here of viewing this through a too narrow of a prism. You know, I, I've covered one program now for 14 years. So that's the first one I think of, obviously, because that's yeah. what I think of. And I'm, I look at it and go, well, there's some guys on that roster that have underachieved that aren't in the portal yet. And they were they were running out of room and now they have room and now they might create more room. And, yeah. you know, but you're right. I guess at some places where like if you're at a we'll pick on where your daughter might end up going to school. um if you're at south alabama maybe you got hit by the portal a little bit. I don't think yeah. Kane, I don't think Kane did for the record. But let's hypothetically say that you did and you look up and you're like we don't have enough DBs. But we've already used our 25. Yep. This does free you up to go to the portal and go let's grab some DBs here to have some bodies and figure this out so that we don't have chaos on our on our roster in the fall.
3: Well, and you knew, Neil, that this wasn't going to get too far in favor of the players before the school got their cut of it, right? So, you know, this has been a couple of years where the players have really, for lack of a better term, cashed in. We've had NIL, we've had freedom of movement. So the players have gotten it, they've gotten it, they've gotten it, they've gotten it. You knew the schools weren't just going to sit around and say, okay, give all the power to the players. The schools needed a little something back. And I do think roster management is a very legitimate concern. That is a massively legitimate concern, especially for – You know, the schools that aren't Alabama or Ohio State or, you know, some of those top programs where kids are transferring in and not as many are transferring out. And the ones that are transferring out, as you said, by and large, have been processed. Rarely has Alabama lost a kid that can still play there, right? Most of the guys that have left Alabama are guys that aren't getting to play in a Jai Hall. You know, a Jaleel Billingsley. I've gotten in a doghouse with Nick Saban. My playing time has been limited. I'll go see if I can do better at Texas rarely do you see a guy that is just tearing it up at Alabama that's like, hey, this ain't for me. You know, I'm going to go somewhere else. Alabama's normally on the receiving end of that. So it feels like the, the guys at, at these other places that are like, look, I developed um, – you know, like for instance, a great example is Louisville and Scott Satterfield, the Harold kid, that's the wide receiver that transferred to Alabama. Yeah. He comes in first year, doesn't play much. Second year is a developmental year. They get him developed. He's ready to blow up what happens to him. He pulls the shoot, he goes to Tuscaloosa. You know, if they've used up all their scholarships, how do they fix that?
1: Yeah, it's good points. Now they can go replace that scholarship. Yeah. Um, what did you make or what do you make of this whole Jordan Addison? Is that his name, the the wide receiver from yeah. uh, from Pittsburgh, who, by the way, was projected as a first-round pick in some of the same mock drafts that had Will Evis um, going in the top five, I think. Fifth, Will Evis, fifth. I never watched him one time in the I never. I mean, I always, no. thought, I always thought good quarterback, but I never watched that and went, "That dude's going to tear up the well. They were tenth in the league in passing <laughs> offense. I mean, it's <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I, I uh, okay, All right, but back to back to uh, our wide receiver friend at Pittsburgh, who apparently is headed to USC for three million in a house. What? What did you? What do you think of that? Is that? Is that a bad trend? Is it's because it's created a ton of angst. Uh, in the field it, it, among fans, among a lot of people, people are, this is, this has been kind of a touchstone moment where people are like, okay, this, this, this jumped the shark. This isn't what NIL was supposed to be.
3: Uh, and by the way, and this may be dated by the time Thursday that this airs, but as of right now, you know, the athletics reporting that he's been working out with Bryce Young. You really want to see people lose their mind. Let the kids show up in Tuscaloosa, right? Uh, because uh, he's, right. The plin- he's the He's plin- the clinic off award winner. So we know this guy can play. Um, You know, it's interesting because I think it has been magnified by Pat Narduzzi, the pit coach, claiming that there was some sort of tampering. Um, And, you know, look, I'm sure Narduzzi's doing that because he's pissed and I understand that he's pissed, but there's really no recourse here. I mean, the NCAA, they've got guys on tape promising to pay basketball players and they still haven't handed down penalties on that. So by the time they even get around to an investigation on Jordan Addison, he's playing in the NFL. So what are you going to do? Right. What are you going to do about that? So Narduzzi's wasting his time. I know he's making himself feel better, but he's wasting his time. Um, I mean, it does. It, it feels a little slimy. I mean, it feels like USC saw this kid at Pitt and they're like, we can offer him more. I mean again if you believe in the player benefiting here it's hard to be super critical of this right because this is how the player benefits best is if he's playing at a place and a bigger school that's got a better history that's got more resources says hey you know you could benefit here i know that's illegal i know that's tampering was it his high school coach that reached out was it players on USC's team that reached out there are ways to get around this obviously.
1: but tampering's been going on forever i mean i remember of course it has. i remember walking to getting to to uh, back to my car after an Ole Miss practice and one of the Ole Miss wide receivers was on the phone with one of the Florida schools. Literally in the bit of the conversation that I could hear, I knew that's what was going on. The tampering's been happening forever. So was, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not picking on, I'm not putting you in the hard spot here. I'll, I'll I'm, And I'm not picking on the guy because he's had an incredible career and he's super successful and kudos to him. I worked with him at two places. You know him. Paul Feinbaum said, he doesn't feel like college football is an honest game anymore. And my response to that is, what does that even mean? And you said, and I'll take your words, maybe it's more honest today than it's ever been. I mean, it, we're, it's far more transparent now, right? Maybe, well, yeah. yeah. Maybe people don't want the transparency.
3: I, I don't, yeah, maybe the transparency is seeing how the sausage is made, right? And you're like, ooh, I didn't realize that ingredient was in sausage, and I've been eating it my whole life. Um, I have always claimed, and people have laughed at this, but I've always claimed the the actual purest form of football is the NFL. Because in the NFL, we know what everybody's getting paid. There's a limit to what they can get paid. Um, They get it. They know if you're on a contract, if you don't produce, you're getting cut. Um, You can better your deal, but you can only better it to a certain degree. To me, that's the purest form, right? The second purest form has always been, the least pure form has been high school to me because – I know high school players have been paid before, right? And you think, no, they're all playing for the love of the game. No, they're not. Mill, you know, I live, and you know this. I live in a city where one program that has been a perennial doormat all of a sudden is a power in the state of Alabama, and kids are transferring in to play there. So parents are picking up and moving to another city just so their kid can play there. Okay, all right. I'm I know sure, that. that's all on the up and up, right? I, I mean. And by the way, that's not the first school that has done that in the city of Birmingham or in the state of Alabama. So, but they're the ones that are, they're the ones that right now are doing it more than anyone. And everybody knows it. It's a running joke, right? But,
1: but it's who doesn't want to live in Alabaster? Come on. I mean, (laughs) I mean, right? I mean, you know, there was a time when Hoover was the place to live in, in Alabama. And now, People want to live in Alabaster. It it makes all the yeah. sense. I don't know if that has anything to do with football. It, it, just the way of life, it's a quality of life, it's a pace of life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean,
3: all of a sudden they're all of a sudden they've got quarterbacks coming from Hawaii to live there. They're pumping guys to college programs left and right. I mean, look. <laughs> and, and again, and people want to argue that that's for the love of the game. Look. At least in the NFL, you know what's happening now in college. We know more of what's happening than we ever have. So, to me, that's the flow of purity versus what a lot of people would say is it goes high school, college, then the NFL.
1: Yeah, that's why I give Lane Kiffin a lot of credit always. But he's been saying this for two years now. This is professional football. We can call it yeah, – if it you is. want to call it something else, call it something else. But this is pro football, and we have, we have the draft, and we have free agency, and you have the waiver wire, and it's – it's how you assemble a roster. I mean, he's talked about this for a while, and I don't know that he even thought it would look exactly like this, but that's where we are. And I don't I'll end with this. I don't think there's there's people that are trying to pull it back. I think it's too late. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah, because I think the natural if you look at Gene Smith's quotes, the athletics director at Ohio State, and he's talking about the playoff, but if you think it's all Gene Smith talking about, you're crazy. And he said, college football does not need the college football playoff. And college football needs to be run by college football, not by the NCAA. Well, if you pull away the power, and the NCAA has no power over the playoff right now. That's what Gene Smith is talking about. Well, he doesn't have to talk about that. They don't have the power now. Gene Smith, I think, has the idea, which I thought we're headed to all along, is college football is pulling away from the NCAA. There's too much money to be made here for them to allow the NCAA to have the oversight they have. So I think you'll see more and more of that. And, and that's why the cat's not going back in the bag or the milk's not going back in the bottle or the toothpaste isn't going back in the tube. Because I think more than that, college football is pulling away from the NCAA, where it could in a lot of ways be its own entity. And it's policing itself. It's running itself. It's paying itself. It's negotiating its own TV deals. There's too much money to be made in this for everybody to say, oh, let's just hand the power back over to the NCAA. NCAA will have less power than they have right now. They're they're not they're not going to grab power back. They're going to get a fight when they try to grab any power back.
1: I think it was the AD at uh, Oregon State, maybe, who said, "Hey, I'm just throwing this out there, but you know, we could just CFP could run, and we could have membership requirements." I thought, finally, finally, we're going to do this. This is what the networks want. The networks, the networks don't want Jacksonville State at Auburn. They don't want that game. Nothing against your friends at Jacksonville State. They don't want that game. They want. They don't. They want Utah at Auburn. They want. Yeah. They want Oregon at Alabama. They don't want that. They don't want Mercer at Alabama. They don't want to show that game. They don't want to fool with it. They don't. They don't want. They. don't, they don't want that game on the menu. They don't want Central Arkansas at Ole Miss. They want Iowa at Ole Miss. And they want. They want games they can put on there. And I, I. think it's inevitable that that's where this is all. This is all going. I mean, the analogy. And I, and I think go ahead
3: go ahead i want to hear your no, I I you
1: name i always like the genie in the bottle better than the toothpaste out of the tube because i like when i was a kid um i i, I liked i dream of genie a lot that was a really good show and and as i got older watching the reruns of that show i i really really liked genie a lot and uh yeah her, her outfits and such were it did things for me, and so I still have this kind of a sentimental attachment to to genie, to genies coming out of bottles, and who would want to put them back?
3: So you would say she was a better Barbara Eden, is that right? Am I right? Yeah, on that?
1: Barbara Eden. So she,
3: so Barbara Eden is a better genie in the bottle than Christina Aguilera was.
1: Oh, who's the better genie? Listen, Barbara Eden had a fastball that lasted a long time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she probably had more life on her fastball than than Christina Aguilera. If we're just, oh yeah, yeah, I would, if We're just breaking yeah. fastballs down. Yeah.
3: I will give you that. I'll, i you know, I mean, my, my my moment was Wonder Woman, Linda Edmonds. Yeah, and I was like, there's something different about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. i a little. I'm, I, I know I'm six or seven years old, but not everybody looks like
1: that. Oh, no. Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh I mean, yeah. who could forget? Even uh, what was the show? Um, <laughs> it was Valerie Bertinelli was in it. She's her and her sister and a mom and, uh, and they had the, was the, it... uh, facts
3: of life. Facts of
1: life. Oh, no, oh, no. Uh, the, the 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 janitor's name was was Bookman, and he would. I think now I'm, I'm probably confusing shows now. But Valerie Bertinelli, she started things. I had to. I always remembered yeah, thinking things. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, but I mean, uh, my original was Alyssa Milano. Oh, which now,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, hey, you dodged that bullet, buddy. Yeah, that that, that it. ended. Yeah. it's over. Yeah, you had no chance there, and it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listen, I, as always, I appreciate the time. I know you got stuff to do. I kept you a few minutes long. And it's always fun. Oh,
3: Yep,
1: always fun. Thanks, Bill. All right, talk to you later. Bye. That was my buddy Ryan Brown of The Next Round in Birmingham. <clears throat> always appreciate his time here on MPW Digital. So there's a story out, kind of came out tonight, Thursday night, as you're listening to this. It's about Ross Dellinger with uh, SISI.com. Talking about how I'll read you the first couple paragraphs inside the Hyatt Regency at Ganey ranch, the lavish resort on the outskirts of Phoenix, dozens of the most powerful people in college sports milled about parading through the expansive lobby and basking in the sun on the terrace. But the majority landed deep within conference meeting rooms, searching for answers to what's become the latest seismic quandary in the industry, the rapidly escalating donor fueled bidding war for college football and men's basketball players. Listen to this quote from Colorado Athletic Director Rick George. I mean this is this is something. I mean really, listen to this quote. This is the time we have to put our stake in the ground. Enough. This is not acceptable. What we're doing is not good for intercollegiate athletics and it has to stop. Reading again from uh Ross Dellinger who's done remarkable work this week out in Arizona. Uh, Ross writes, college leaders are strongly urging the NCAA enforcement team to begin investigating what they deem to be obvious recruiting violations, past and present. Donor-led collectives that have struck deals with players before they sign binding letters of intent are violating rules, says George, one of the leaders of an NCAA working group that will soon publicize additional NIL guidelines. They are working to finalize those guidelines. Uh, according to this story, it could happen as early as next week. George and Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith are uh, confirm the existence of the draft of guidelines. The guidance clarifies existing NCAA bylaws that prohibit boosters from being involved in recruiting. Any booster or booster-led collective that has been found to have associated with prospects about recruiting on another college team or in high school will be found to have violated NCAA rules and put the booster school at risk of sanctions. In addition, a booster or booster run collectives quote, cannot communicate with the student athlete or others affiliated with the student athlete to encourage them to remain enrolled or attend an institution. Just because we have NIL, it doesn't eliminate the rules. George says, everybody is like, it's NIL. I'm totally in favor of NIL. Done right, it's really good. Athletes should be able to monetize their NIL. But a lot of what's going on out there is not NIL. I, I keep coming back to the same thing. I, I have no sympathy for the athletics directors and the NCAA people. I, I, none. They, they knew this was coming a decade ago, and rather than addressing it at that moment and saying, "Okay, this is coming," the day is 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 coming. When players are going to be able to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. So let's establish guidelines today. Instead, they fought it, and they fought it, and they fought it, and they lost, and they lost, and they lost. And then, in a moment of social unrest and social change and and uh, summers of peaceful protest, COVID stuff, they just said, screw it. Open the doors wide open, open the gate, go for it, we'll figure it out. And the rest is history. And here we are, and as Ryan and I were just talking about, the genie is out of the bottle. And I don't know that this genie looks as good as Barbara Eden did back in her prime, but good luck getting Barbara back in the bottle. That's all I'm saying. And by the way, I, like many of you, are already sick of the uh, NIL conversation. I'm tired of it. It's exhausting. I catch myself having a hard time paying attention to it, but it is the story in college sports today. We can pretend that it's not as big of a story as betting odds and championship odds and things of that nature, but it is. It's the big story in college sports today. Don't just accept what you see, but imagine something new. Step forward and chase after a better version of yourself. Every day, Corinth Dental is helping people reinvent themselves one smile at a time. Dr. Bubba McQueen, Dr. Jenny Beth Hendrick are devoted to restoring and enhancing the natural beauty of your smile using conservative, state of the art procedures, including Invisalign. These clear aligners are the virtually visible way, invisible way, I should say, to improve your smile. Call Corinth Dental today for a no cost digital scan of your teeth. And let them show you the way to a straighter, healthier smile. 12 months, no interest, no down payment. Financing available at CorinthDental.com. We're also brought to you by Bell & Grove. Based out of Chattanooga, Daryl Oliver and Evan Dial built Bell & Grove. It's a logistics provider with more than 35 years of transportation industry experience. They specialize in domestic freight movement throughout the continental U.S. Bell & Grove can navigate through supply chain issues while also leaning on their partner carriers to get the most competitive rates possible for their customers. In addition, Bell & Grove can help customers design a custom solution for their shipping needs. So whether your business is in need of moving a truckload, a partial shipment, or a flatbed, Bell & Grove can accommodate you. They also provide both air and ground expedited services for customers who need to move product quickly. For more information, call Daryl Oliver at 865-672-6557. Southern Traditions Farm is a 68-acre, 32-stall, upscale equestrian training and boarding facility in Canton, Mississippi. With two sand rings, a grass ring, and miles of wooded trails, there's a lot to be offered at Southern Traditions, including horseback riding offerings from beginner lessons with trainer Susan Walt to buying your first horse and competing at nationally recognized competitions. Uh, They've got high hopes for the future out at Southern Traditions, and that future includes camps. The camp season begins May the 30th. Got like five or six camps throughout the summer, Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 2. To learn more about it, get in touch with Susan and uh, Bowers Cone uh, on Facebook or Instagram at Southern Traditions Farm. So uh, I talked to Michael Bratton, I guess, last Friday. Uh, He had a post-spring rankings that I found fascinating. He had uh, Arkansas really high. He had uh, Auburn really low. I was curious about some of that. So I asked him about it. Listened to his podcast. It was really good. And I decided that I would see if he would uh, be kind enough to come on this podcast. He agreed to do it. I think you will enjoy this pretty expansive discussion of SEC football pretty much around, uh, I think we pretty much cover, cover most of the 14 teams here. I think you guys will enjoy this. If you are sick of NIL and you just want to hear some football, I think you're going to like this. Here's Michael Bratton. Michael Bratton of uh, Sccpodcast.com kind enough to join us. I'll tell you this now. You can follow Michael at uh, Twitter at Michael W. Bratton. Uh, you can also check out his work at That sec podcast ThatSECpodcast on YouTube as well. A lot of uh, really good, as you might
2: guess, SEC-related content. Uh, there. So Michael, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime, Neil. Um, I always appreciate getting, getting on these uh, large platforms like yourself. So anytime you want me, I'm I'm happy uh, and feel free, feel free to roast me away. Like uh, I feel like you, you may be doing here in a minute. No, no, I'm not roasting you at all. I, in, <laughs> in fact, it's, uh, it's interesting because it, it's, so every week, you
1: know, I do this thing called 10 Weekend Thoughts at rebelgrove.com. And in and, and football season, I'm ranking the football teams. And obviously in basketball, I mean, it's 10 thoughts. Sometimes you don't have 10 thoughts. So rankings give you a free thought, if you will. But often at the beginning of a season, especially, it's like, okay, how do I rank these teams? What am I, what am I basing this on? Am I – built? you know, because, I mean, I cover Ole Miss, so I feel like I have a decent pulse on, on Ole Miss but you know i mean i don't have a great pulse on south carolina necessarily certainly not before there's a little bit of a body of work right mm-hmm. and and so i'm always interested in with with guys like you who are hey i'm i'm diligently trying to follow the whole league you have your post spring rankings out and no i'm not roasting you at all there are a few that i'm i'm like hmm i wonder what he knows because there's 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 some interesting stuff in here you've got alabama one georgia two i'm like i'm good with that you got vanderbilt at 14 i'm like yep and then there's some ones that are interesting. And, it's, frankly, I, I've, I've, like, tried to look at them and go, huh. And I've tried to pick them apart. And then I'm like, oh, I can see that. And then I can see how – anyway, you've got Arkansas at three and Kentucky at four. And those were the first two that stood out to me because I thought, that feels high for Arkansas. And I've had this conversation with people a lot about Kentucky, Michael, where – so Ole Miss opens its season with four – games that it's going to win, I mean, barring something weird. And then they get Kentucky on October the 1st, and there's a tendency I've seen with fans to go, oh, that's a W. And I'm always like, I don't know, man, that that game could get a little weird because Kentucky's got Kentucky's got an identity, and Kentucky's got a veteran quarterback back, and it's a stable program, yet Kentucky, when they typically go on the road in the SEC West, they get kind of slapped around a little bit. So I'm I'm like that's kind of the first touchstone game for Ole Miss coming up. So you've got Kentucky fourth, Arkansas third. Can you kind of just tell me what why you think that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh and just uh you know, just to give some insight into how I do these power rankings, not necessarily how I plan on predicting these teams to finish uh when SEC Media Days rolls around, the way I do this, I think this is the way most people do it. You know, if team A met team B, on a neutral field, who am I taking? And and today, uh, right? Yeah, post exa- right? Exactly. And I think it's very important when the season arrives to be very fluid with these things because otherwise you get kind of locked into to what you're seeing in the preseason. But to answer your question, yeah, let's start with uh, Arkansas. I just love what Sam Pittman has been doing there in Fayetteville. I think he's got the best combo of coordinators in the SEC. Barry Odom, Kendall Browse. Just uh, an incredible duo. And K.J. Jefferson, I was singing it from the mountaintops last offseason. I mean, I, I only know this because uh, I got a big Arkansas following, so anytime they get slighted, they feel free to let me know. But uh, 24-7 sports had K.J. Jefferson as the 14th best quarterback, so essentially the worst starting quarterback. I had him in the top three, and, uh, you know, I think I, I was proven right there. I think K.J. Jefferson is going to continue – to uh, thrive in Kendall Brown's system, all that guy does is produce elite quarterback play, and he's not had a returning quarterback since uh, R.G. three down there at Baylor the year he won the Heisman Trophy. So I'm not sitting. I'm not sitting here saying K.J. Jefferson's a, a lock to win the Heisman or anything, but I just think he's going to continue to progress. They had the uh, the SEC's best rushing attack last season. They bring back the majority of their offensive line. And some very talented running backs, along with K.J. Jefferson. That's what he does better than anything is run the ball. Uh, and on the defensive side of the ball, Jalen Catalan. I think he may be the best safety in the SEC. He missed about half the year with a, with a shoulder injury. He's back. Um, bumper pool at linebacker I love. And they added a lot of good pieces via the transfer portal. Drew Sanders, former five-star was in the rotation to start at Alabama. He got injured, so I like their linebacking core. I like their their secondary with some of the transfer additions. now the defensive line could be a real issue for Arkansas. So I'm a little wary at putting them number three. But I do think that you know they just won nine games. I think they can do it again, possibly more. And I think the the biggest thing with that, and I don't I don't want to bleed into the rest of the list this quickly, but I'm not. Fully totally bought in on Texas A and M, like it, like it seems like everybody else is. And oh, I've got and then, them starred to ask
1: about it. So yeah,
2: go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, just Jimbo. I don't know if you know Dave Bar too, but I love that guy. CFB Matrix. Yeah. He does analytics. He ju- he judges these coaches. You know, he, he he he. It's all a math equation for him. It's how much talent you got, where the game's played, and the end result gives you your coaching grade. Jimbo Fisher. If we remove first year coaches. Jimbo Fisher was the worst graded head coach at the Power 5 level last season. He had a team that should have won 11 games. They won eight. And they lost to LSU, which, of course, had already fired Ed Orgeron. I mean, that team had quit on him. He lost to both the Mississippi schools. I know your, your fan base knows that good and well. Lost to Arkansas. So, And when's the last time he's really had an elite quarterback? That seems to be all AM fans want to point to is, well, we just didn't have a quarterback. Well, hell, you really haven't had one. Uh, since about Jameis Winston in, in 2014 so I'm not fully buying in I know Texas A&M's got all the talent in the world I think they'll have a good season, but I'm not ready to put them ahead of the Arkansas Razorbacks And you asked about Kentucky I'm sure that's one your audience is uh, Is very intrigued by with like you said they open the the SEC calendar with Kentucky You know, I think The most interesting stat from last season in the entire SEC Kentucky was dead last in turnover margin. I mean, they turned the ball over left and right, yet they won 10 games. Yeah. And you you look at some of the other teams that were right there with them. It's Vanderbilt, God awful, LSU. I mean, they were awful. Uh, It's just, it's unfathomable that Kentucky could lead the SEC in turnovers, yet have a 10-win season. That should give you an indication of, uh, you know, how good of a program Mark Stoops has got up there. And I had on uh, Mike Morgan, from uh, ESPN SEC Network on my show the other day. He called the Kentucky spring game for the SEC Network. He's saying these scouts are telling him Will Levis is going to be a first-round draft pick. And he said, beyond Bryce Young, I would make the case Will Levis, the second-best quarterback in the SEC. Now, that's not my opinion, but... No, sure. You know, it's
1: interesting, because if you tell me, if if the, always do the football gods, right? If the football gods dropped in here and said, hey, Will Levis is second best quarterback in the sec at the end of the year so that's the consensus i'd go whoa they won 10 games again i mean that's what i would immediately think because they're they're pretty talented on both lines of scrimmage mm-hmm. they've got athletes all over the place it's been a very stable program that i think all of us probably not you michael because you're a little more on top of it than it maybe those of us who are as locked in on the sec west as as we are down here but you know, I think you look up the last – of the last couple of years and you look at Kentucky and you're like, wow, they're pretty good. You know, there's just this tendency because we do it for so long because a team's been bad over periods to go, well, they're going to stay bad. Or a team's been good for a long time. You go, well, they're going to stay good. And it doesn't work like that. And, and Kentucky's been really solid. And it's an interesting game. I mean, Ole Miss has some – there's kind of like three games in the first two-thirds of the season that that are really fascinating that you, you have a tendency because of the past to go, well, Kentucky's a win, uh, Auburn's a loss, at LSU's a loss, when in reality on paper the Kentucky game is the hardest of those three games.
2: Yeah, and to go back to what you said, you just chalk that up as a W. I'll tell you who else did, LSU last year. Florida in recent history. I mean, these are the powers of the SEC, and LSU at Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky manhandled them. They they basically were the LSU in that football game, and I think that was the game. I I think LSU said, "All right, enough's enough. Let's get rid of Ed Ogeron." He was gone about two weeks later. So, uh, yeah, I, and I and go to go back to Kentucky. I mean, they have an incredible linebacking core. I think they're going to have the best linebacking core in the SEC East, and what Mark Stoops does, you know, he doesn't play a lot of these young kids. He makes them develop, and the last couple of years, they've been landing four-star and even a five-star defensive lineman that are in their second, third year in the program. So they are losing a lot on the defensive line. That is a question mark, but they're replacing it with players that have already contributed, that came in, that were highly touted. So I think the front seven is going to be one of the best, maybe the best in the SEC, considering what Georgia has lost. Um, they have some standout running backs. Chris Rodriguez, if he has, I think he's about 700 yards short of becoming the all-time leading rusher in Kentucky history, and he's averaged about 1,200 the last couple of years, so he should get there. Um, I, I just like a lot of the buzz I'm hearing out of Lexington, I, and they're one of the more consistent programs in, uh, in, in recent SEC East.
1: I want to circle back to Arkansas just real quick before we get to some of the others. You're right about what you said about Kendall Bryles and, and the job he did with KJ Jefferson. The interesting thing um, uh, about KJ's development that I want to see is twofold. One, he doesn't have Traylon Burks anymore. Uh, and, and Burks was probably criminally underrated in in, in the SEC uh, until maybe the end of last season when he almost beat Alabama by himself for a little while. And then I think people started to notice him and they're like, whoa, well, this, this dude's good. But you know they 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 won their bowl game without um without burks they beat missouri without burks and a lot of that was kj making plays the one thing i'm interested to see with kj is can he get a little bit better at making reads making decisions getting the ball out of his hand a little quicker not being so dependent on his legs and I, I get that part of his game. He's very, very good as a scrambler, and he's such a big body. And he's a much better athlete than he looks because he looks kind of chunky and stuff. But then you, you watch him run, and you're like, ah, oh, this guy's, this guy can pick him up and put him down. But I do want to see whether that part of his game can come along because if it does, they're dangerous. Uh, if, if it doesn't, I still think there's a limit to how far they can go because when you play the really good teams, that he can't just scramble against. It, mm-hmm. it, it, can be a struggle like it did last year for them against you know, even against auburn where auburn had a pretty good defensive plan for arkansas and kind of took kj's legs away that day and, and he they didn't have enough of an answer to get it done
2: yeah and that that is you hit on it now that that's the biggest question mark for arkansas is the receiver position with everything you said about trail on bricks i agree with they brought in transfer from oklahoma Jadon hazelwood you know a lot of people are th- I don't want to say comparing him to Burks. He's no Burks, you know, but I think uh, they're already slotting him in as a starter. He was banged up a lot of his Oklahoma career, and even in the spring he's wearing a a non-contact jersey. So I don't know if uh, Hazelwood can even make it through the season. And Sam Pittman's out here saying they're going to be looking in the transfer portal to add more weapons. So that should give you an idea of, uh, you know, how thin they are at that position. They're even putting the backup quarterback, Malik Hornsby, who – maybe the fastest player on the team he's been getting reps at receiver he even he started you know they didn't really have a traditional spring game it was more of a scrimmage but he started at receiver so that gives you an indication of sure. uh, you know how big of a question mark that is for arkansas and, and and you're right i mean that in today's modern era i mean you look at georgia may be the exception because they had maybe the best defense of all time but you want to win in the SEC you need these playmakers on the outside and uh, i'm not certain that uh, arkansas has that
1: we talked about am a little i kind of like beating up on am because they're just obnoxious <laughs> about this a little bit um they, there is a ton of talent there they did lose their quarterback in week two last season um the the backup was okay some of that was on jimbo uh, he you know he did beat alabama um, so, kind of, so there's kind of a mixed bag there. What, when you look at a and you say, I'm not so sure, is it based on primarily quarterback play or do you think they're overinflated in general?
2: Um, I, it's quarterback and it's receiver. And, you know, this is, uh, again, this is just an annual thing. I can't remember the last dominant receiver A&M has had under Jimbo. I don't, I don't think they've had one. Can't uh, now that, Evans. now they, but that What's was that? before Jimbo. Yeah, you're right. Was... Right. Um, they they have brought in a, a freshman, Evan Stewart, who by all accounts is amazing. He was named not spring game MVP, but spring camp MVP of the entire offense. So, you know, they may have something there. But, again, we're just waiting for a quarterback to emerge. And the fact that they brought in Max Johnson, who I actually really like, I think, I think being at LSU really set him back because I, I don't think those coaches knew what the hell they were doing particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I like Max Johnson to potentially be the starter down there, but, again, he's not going to be an all-SEC type guy. He's just he's just going to be a guy. Now, they're all convinced down there that Haynes King is going to be the guy. We've seen him in roughly two games uh, as, an, as a fully healthy player. He's, he threw three interceptions in one of them. So I'm just not really buying that uh, Jimbo, maybe he's asking too much of these guys. Uh, maybe – you know, he's maybe he's lost his little edge, like I said, because, I mean, you go back to Florida State after Jameson, uh, it was just one bust after another at the quarterback position. We all assumed Kellen Mon was going to be a star under Jimbo, and he looked like it early if you go back and watch. First year Jimbo was there against Clemson, that's the game that always hits me in my mind. Kellen Mon was incredible. He looked like he was maybe going to win a Heisman under Jimbo, like he was that good, and he was – he stayed for two more years. He was never, never showed that once again. And is that a is that a Kalimann problem? Is it a Jimbo problem? At some point, we gotta we gotta point the finger at Jimbo and ask, uh, you know, why these quarterbacks are not being developed. And you, you hit on Zach Calzada. This was a guy that when he was coming out of the state of Georgia, Kirby Smart tried to steal him away, and Jimbo Jimbo said, "This is our guy. This is the guy that I want in this class." He was there for three years. It's not like he was a true freshman. Uh, he should have been ready by year three. And now that he's at Auburn, I'm hearing, you know, he can't, he didn't even basically go through spring. He was in non contact. He had a, 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 a surgery as well on his shoulder, but they basically anointed him the starter. So that gives you an idea of what Brian Harsin thinks of him. So we've already know Kirby likes him, yet Jimbo couldn't really get a consistent play out of Zach Calzada. Is that Zach Calzada's fault or is that Jimbo's fault? Is it the fault of a lack of. Playmakers on the edge. I mean, they, they've turned out many tight ends there at AM, but I'm still waiting for a, a dominant receiver or two to emerge. And uh, we're going into what year five now, yeah. I believe, under Jimbo, and, and it, it just seems like, uh, you know, I don't know how much how much time the, the, one of the highest paid coaches in the country needs to get this thing going. Well, and to, to along those lines, what's interesting about A&M is that they have
1: to some degree involuntarily, but they've put a lot of pressure on themselves because of this NIL talk. Uh, They've recruited at an incredibly high level in in this most recent class, brought in a bunch of highly ranked guys that were recruited by other people, the Alabamas and the Georgias and those kind of people were recruiting these guys. And there's this pressure to win and to win big and to win now with what will be a lot of young talent. And uh, sometimes it doesn't work like that. And, and what's interesting to me is they've got a couple of games in, you know, uh, September that I think their fans go W, you know, and, and Miami's won. And with Cristobal, a first-year coach, there's going to be a lot of energy at Miami. It's early in the season. Things will not have fallen apart just yet in Coral Gables. And then you talked about Arkansas a minute ago. You're going to play kind of a veteran Arkansas team in Arlington at the end of September that got you a year before and would love nothing more than to get you again. And if A&M were to lose just one of those two games, Michael, the questions come up. Here we go. And the spotlight comes up and I've got a feeling that uh, Nick Saban and company have them circled. I mean, that's just kind of how Alabama operates, right? When they're always looking for some sort of an outside artificial um, motivation, and Georgia's not on the regular season schedule, so they can't use them just yet. A&M's going to be a game they circle early, like, let's go pop them. Let's show somebody that we've arrived. Let's get a little payback. And Because Jimbo's talked a lot, and I got a feeling he might eat some of those words. And I, it's going to be a really talented roster, but it just feels like it's a little early to be kind of making some of the claims that they seem to be making there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think the biggest elephant in the room there in College Station, I don't know if this affects the locker room. I don't think it does at all. And, and I question how much it will affect Jimbo himself. But we got Texas coming to the SEC. And if they stumble a little bit, you know, I'm not saying they're going to run Jimbo out of I me. Mean, my God, they, they just keep shoveling money his way. But yeah. what happens if Sarkeesian, who I got serious questions about as a head coach, to be honest with you. But what if he gets it rolling? I don't want to again. I don't want to uh, upset your audience. But what if Arch Manning goes to Texas? I mean, they could they could get some momentum going. And then if A uh, and M again has a eight and four, nine and three type year, I got to imagine that the boosters down there are going to be none too happy. And uh, you know, at some point, that's got to that's got to get to Jimbo. Oh, for sure. And listen, if you made me
1: bet today, I'd bet Arch Manning goes to Texas. And if he does, and they get some momentum, and they have a lot of NIL money too, and then they join the league. And yeah, it could could get a little tense in College Station. There's no question that was the one place that didn't want Texas ever into the SEC. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to skip over some stuff. We'll come back into the middle because it's a fascinating list that lets us talk football. You've got Auburn at 13. (laughs) and that was the other one that really stuck out I went whoa Auburn at 13 you got Auburn at 13 and LSU at 11 so we'll take both sets of Tigers here in a minute but we'll start with the Auburn ones um maybe this is just me having covered Ole Miss these last few years Ole Miss has a hard time with Auburn even when Ole Miss has the better team one of those deals where just a team has your number um what is it about Auburn that makes you think there's, cause I think the over under on them is like five and a half or six. So you're not alone in in people thinking, Hey, Auburn coming out of the spring does not look like a good football team. What is it about them for you coming out of the spring that has you projecting them to finish that bad?
2: Yeah. And, and last season I predicted Auburn to be seventh in the West too. And I look like a damn fool going into November because they were, they controlled their own destiny in the West, but then of course they dropped every game and finished six so i wasn't too far off the mark but no you weren't just so many questions with them uh particularly on offense i mean i don't think they have any weapons on the outside that are you know of elite caliber in the sec uh their offensive line is a is just a mess and it it seems like it's it's been that way for about three or four years now uh the quarterback like i said zach calzada basically anointed the starter already i mean the the most impressive quarterback they had was a guy named robbie ashford who went up to oregon played two years and he never even got on the field now i think oregon's pretty good i don't follow the pac 12 but if you can't play at oregon and you're the best quarterback on an sec roster your your first semester down there you know that's troubling and then you know you go to the defensive side of the ball I know Derek Mason is, uh, you know, I think he's a little bit overrated, but I still think he was a very good defensive coordinator, uh, particularly uh, the job he did at Vanderbilt with uh, all the restrictions. I I was always impressed with uh, the defense he put out on the field. But when you go into this offseason and just the disaster of coordinators and, and hiring an, an NFL guy, I mean, that, that seemed like a perfect thing to set Auburn a little bit of a part there and then a week later the guy backs out of the deal it got so bad down there Neil that I was told Brian Harsin didn't even have authorization to hire a coordinator because they didn't know if he was going to be the coach they didn't want to commit any money to it so what did he have to do he had to look from within and promote guys that have been with him since his Boise days now maybe that's a good thing maybe it's you know they'll all rally together because it, it certainly seems like the guys that stayed at Auburn They got Harson's back. And, you know, if you take a little us against the world mentality, that could be a hell of a good thing uh, compared to last season where it certainly seemed like you had a split locker room. I had another guy on my show uh, who covers Auburn says, Derek Mason hated Brian Harson, So I can't imagine uh, what that divide was like in the locker room last season. So maybe you get rid of the division within that locker room. You look at the Auburn schedule. I know Auburn, or ex- excuse me, Penn State is coming to Auburn. That That's going to be a tricky one. But if you find a way to win that, Missouri is, uh, I, I believe, their first home game. That's a very, excuse me, their first league home yeah. game. That's a very winnable game. LSU comes early. Who knows what we're getting year one, Brian Kelly. There is a chance that I'm dead wrong about Auburn, and they start the season pretty hot. But, uh, again, that tail end of the season Looks like it's going to be brutal. I don't know if they're going to be favored in the in any games in the back half there, uh, at least the conference game. So I'm just not liking basically anything we're seeing out of Auburn right now.
1: Yeah, and they're one of those teams that if it starts to fall apart, then you know what's coming, all the, the the speculation and the rumors and the daggers and stuff. It could get ugly there in a hurry. And I agree with you. Yeah, it, early on, they're going to be rallied and, and all that. that. That Penn State game does feel big feels like mm-hmm. a a big moment for them. You mentioned LSU. I'm curious. I don't know what to expect. What do you, what do you expect from uh, from Brian Kelly in year 1 in Baton Rouge and just your kind of your overall thoughts on how you think he'll do in general taking over that program.
2: Yeah, I'm right I'm right there with you, Neil, and that's kind of why I grouped Old Miss, Florida, and LSU almost in the same area because those are probably the three teams that I'm just having the hardest time figuring at this point in time, I'm giving I gave uh, Old Miss the edge there because I just got so much confidence in Lane Kiffin. But going back to your question, LSU, Brian Kelly, just a massive turnover there uh, with the coaches, obviously. But uh, the personnel on the field, I believe they've added the number keeps changing. So forgive me if I got this wrong, but I think it's 17 transfers this off season. which, uh, you know, you are bring in these types of players. You're expecting them to play. You're not. Transfers don't come in anymore, uh, you know, thinking they're going to sit for a couple of years. So uh, particularly the guys they got from Arkansas, which Arkansas got one of their DBs. I think Arkansas got the better end of that deal. They, Fouché and Brooks are good players, but to me they're not, you know, when I think of LSU, I think of Derek Stingley and Patrick Peterson and, and Eli Ricks and all these elite level Defensive backs these other Fouché and Greg books are are decent players um, but I Mean it's it, outside a defensive line again I just got questions about just about everything with LSU the offensive line is a huge concern Looks like they're gonna start a true freshman at left tackle which I'm actually hearing good things about him. Will Campbell he was a five-star recruit so maybe he's just amazing but Coming into the SEC, that's that's tricky right there. Uh, you're bringing in quarterback Jaden Daniels into the mix. Where I got to be honest, I've not studied him as well as I, I should. That's something I plan on doing this off season. But everything I've heard, you know, I don't I'm not very impressed by him yet. It seems like he is the assumed leader in the clubhouse. While I think uh, based on the spring game and based on what I've heard during the spring, Garrett Nussmeyer, the uh, the redshirt freshman. That's my prediction right now. That could change, you know, over the summer. But I think he's going to be LSU's starting quarterback. And, you know, I'm not trying to downgrade him, but we've just not seen – you can't tell me we're going to roll into him with the season and, you know, we're going to have elite quarterback play. Maybe you will, particularly by the end of the the year. I think LSU will probably be better at the end of the season than they are at the the beginning. But uh, Kayshawn Boutte, that's another question mark. Brian Kelly had some – some wild comments about him this spring basically said, well, I know the kid's last name. That that doesn't sound good. And from what I understand, the only reason Boutte still there is because they've got him locked it down to this huge NIL deal. So, you know, this is like the Wild West of, of college football. Who knows? Uh, you know, he may even pull a Derek Stingley, for all we know, where, you know, show up for a week or two and then say, I'm going to be a first-round pick. I'm not playing. I, mean, I don't want to put that on the kid because I have no idea. What his intentions are but it doesn't sound like uh he's vibing too well with brian kelly and and he may be the most dynamic receiver in the country so just so many questions he wanted to go to alabama
1: right and then and then they threw the the nil deal at him and
2: and he stayed right but yeah he doesn't sound like he's a particularly happy camper and hey i mean maybe that's maybe that's what needs to happen down there because it certainly seemed like they were running a uh you know, like a frat mentality clubhouse down there under Coach o. Maybe they need, you know, hard-ass Brian Kelly to come in there and bring a different edge to them, but it that could pay off. It could also blow up in their face and cost them, particularly this season. So just so many questions with LSU. I just don't know what to make of them, and they, they come right out the gate. I don't have a high opinion of Florida State, but I'd much rather be playing Delaware State oh. than Florida State right out the gate if you drop that one. Uh, that's kind of the one where I I think the over-under for LSU right now is seven. I don't know if they hit that, if they drop that opener to Florida State. I think that's an important game, maybe even for bowl eligibility eligibility for for LSU.
1: So we touched on a lot of your list. You've got, like I said, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M in the front five. You've got Tennessee at six. And my initial reaction, Michael, when I saw that was, no, it's too low. And then I started thinking, okay, well, where would I put them? And I was like, well, maybe he's right, because it's kind of hard to slot them any higher than that. You've got Mississippi State at seven. I want to ask you about the Bulldogs in a minute. Uh, Ole Miss at eight. South Carolina nine, which, frankly, I was a little surprised they were that high. Uh, Florida 10. We talked about LSU. Mizzou at 12. Auburn and Vanderbilt. Let's let's talk about the Bulldogs a little bit, because they're a hard team to read, too, because – They lose Charles Cross off that offensive line, as as dominant a left tackle as as he was, especially in pass blocking. And God knows in that offense you're asking for a lot of pass blocking. He did a really good – gave up one sack all of last season and however many hundreds of of dropbacks uh, they had. They lose him, uh, yet they return a a quarterback for a third year. It's a leech system for a third year. There's some talent on defense. I don't know that it's as deep as – you probably would want at this level, but they've got talent there. Uh, the schedule is kind of what the schedule is for Mississippi State. It's, it's problematic in spots and, and um, favorable in spots. What is it When you look at them, do you just sort of you know a little bit more so it's easier to kind of put them in the middle of the pack, or is there a team that you think could surprise one way or the other?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I mean, we can run all the hypotheticals we want, but had Mississippi State beaten Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl – had they won that bowl game, I think they're coming into this season as maybe a top twenty team. I mean, they were, they were really firing on all cylinders heading into that Egg Bowl. Of, of course, I don't need to tell your audience uh, Lane Kiffin and company uh, were the was the team that showed up that day and, and beat them. You know, I'm not. They had a they really had
1: they had a really tough loss in Fayetteville in a game that I think late in the fourth quarter they they probably felt like, hey, we've got this one. I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a play away from, from getting that done, had a PI called on them. It was a good call. It was a PI called on them in the last couple of minutes and Arkansas finished a drive and then won the game in overtime. Um, I think it went to overtime, maybe one at the end of the regulation. I don't remember whatever. It was a close game decided on a field goal. That was a game that got away from them. And you're right. Had they, had they won that game? They had just beaten Auburn handedly, uh, at Auburn. So they had some things going and, um, it kind of fell apart on them in the egg bowl. Miss kind of dominated them that that night.
2: Yeah, and it wasn't just that game. I'm, I'm trying to think one other. Maybe it was the Memphis game that they dropped, which, yeah. which had the which had the bad calls. But a kicker basically cost them two games last year. So they're close, I think. And just you know, bringing back Zach Arnett, I think, is huge. I think he's one of the more underrated coordinators in the entire SEC. Uh, I just really think that Will Rogers, you know, that that system seemed to have clicked for him late in the season. I think he can continue that. I don't think by any means he's like the most talented quarterback in the SEC, but I think he might be the most productive playing in Leach's system, going into his third year, the weapons they bring back. I love both their running backs. You, you mentioned Charles Cross, though. I mean, that he's going to be irreplaceable because they, they just don't got guys like that on the roster Yeah. Once every five years at Mississippi State. So uh, that is a huge question mark. And that that was holding up that offense uh, early in the Mike Leach tenure. They couldn't block anybody. So that that is a huge red flag. They really got to clean up explosive plays on the defensive side of the ball. They gave up way too many. They've transitioned Zach Arnett from linebackers coach to safeties coach to kind of shore that up. We'll see how that works. I mean, he was—he's an outstanding linebackers coach, so it's a little bit of a gamble making that move. But they're doing what they got to do, and I think they're underrated on the defensive line as well. So uh, they get Texas A&M at home, they get Auburn at home. Uh, there's one other one I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm missing, but uh, I think it's LSU maybe at home. You know, the teams yeah. that they're going to be grouped with—they get them at home this year. Doesn't mean they're going to win them, but it should give them a little bit of an advantage when those damn cowbells are playing in nonstop. non What do
1: you think of Ole Miss? You had a chance to watch some spring and just watch the spring game. You saw the, the Grove Bowl where uh, Luke Altmeyer was okay. Jackson Dart was not particularly good that day at all. That's probably putting it mildly. Uh, the defense looks much improved. I thought the defense dominated the spring. I obviously got to see more of it than you did. Uh, Zach Evans is at running back. They've restocked that running back room. Ole Miss has obviously some question marks at receiver as well. They're trying to get Jalen Robinson the time that we tape this. They're desperately trying to keep him uh, from going to TCU. They'd love for him to to end up at Ole Miss. So they, they've got to find another receiver in the mix. They're going to add Deion Smith this offseason. They're adding Malik Heath. I mean, there, there are some issues offensively at places where you wouldn't think a Lane Kiffin team would have issues, and that's quarterback and wide receiver. So when you look at Ole Miss, what do you what do you kind of see? What do you expect going into the fall?
2: You know, I've been I think I've been dead wrong about Ole Miss both years. Kiffin's been down there. I I thought they were going to be god awful his first year. Just you know, basically what he was saying. I I got v- virtually no uh, relationship with a lot of these guys, and it, that wasn't his fault. It was the COVID and all the restrictions and everything. Um, I thought John Rice Plumley. I love that kid. I thought. How in the world could they not have him at quarterback based on the explosiveness that we showed? And then here, it's because they got a generational talent in Matt Corral, um, who, as we're recording this, is, is yet to be drafted, which I thought was a travesty. I think he's going to be a hell of a player at the NFL level. But, you know, going back and watching some of these games, th- that kid is. Not so much even the talent, which is off the charts, but his leadership, his toughness, just everything he he gave to that team. I don't care. And I've heard great things about Jackson Dart, but I just don't – or even if it's Luke Altmyer, let's not count him out. But I don't understand – I cannot – it's not conceivable to me that either one of those guys can replace what Matt Corral gave to that team last year. And I was in the stadium, Neyland Stadium. And I, I promise you, Neil, I, I threw nothing on the field. <laughs> I may I may have been drinking at the stands, but I threw nothing on the field. But, I mean, that kid just, just – he basically put the team on his back and and, and carried him to that win. Yep. And there was many games where he did that last season. So that is just going to be so hard to replicate. But you reference all these, you know, the questions at the skill position Ole Miss has, but I just got so much faith in Lane Kiffin to put these pieces uh, where they need to be to excel. And uh, Zach Evans, I think, he seems like a man on a mission to, you know, get to that next level. He would, he would have gotten there, you know, playing at TCU, but I don't think he'll near as uh, be as, as impressive as he is this time next year, hopefully hearing his name in the NFL draft. And then the kid that uh, I didn't know much about, the the guy they got from uh, SMU, uh, Bentley. Bentley. I yeah. mean, he he seems like he's tailor-made to play for lane kiffin i mean he can do so many things so explosive i cannot wait to get him on the field almost like a you know i, I hate to just throw out ridiculous comparisons but almost like a poor man's reggie bush back there uh it seems like he kind of has that talent so i think the offense will be fine and like you said i think a lot of people are going to discount the defense because dj durkin off to a and m but man these these uh players they're adding via the transfer portal, I think the the roster is going to be even better on the defensive side of the ball this okay. year in Oxford. For sure. And I'm a, I'm a huge believer. I always have been. You know, I'll give these coaches credit, but I think the players matter a hell of a lot more than the coaches. So give me the roster they have on defense this year compared to last year. So I think they're going to be even better on that side of the ball. But I just don't know where to peg Ole Miss. So I yeah. got them right there at uh, number nine because of, uh, uh, you know, some of the question marks they do have. And, you know, the Mississippi State's got the consistency at several key areas that uh, Ole Miss doesn't. So that that was kind of the tiebreaker there for me. Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, how much of a difference maker will he be, your opinion? I, I love him, and I don't see how anyone doubts this kid. I, I was on Arkansas radio the other day, and, and they play South Carolina uh, week two, so they're all intrigued yeah, by him, and, sure. and they're calling him. You know, he couldn't cut it at Oklahoma. I don't, I don't know what that means. He lost his first two games as a starter, and then he won 15 in a row. He threw for 40 touchdowns. He threw for like 5,000 yards, and he had 12 interceptions. If that's a failure, I don't know what a good quarterback is. So, I, I'm not a believer that uh, he he deserves to be in this Heisman talk that we're seeing. I'm not saying he's that good a player but south carolina started a a freaking graduate assistant they took him off the coaching staff put him at quarterback last year yet they uh they found a way to get to seven wins last year so i think spencer rattler is going to be a huge upgrade i question the offensive line i question some of the weapons that he'll have to work with at south carolina it will be a downgrade but uh yeah I, i think south carolina is certainly capable of winning eight nine games this season uh Clayton White, their defensive coordinator, I had never heard of him. He came from Western Kentucky. South Carolina's defense was a travesty under Will Muschab. Ole Miss fans know all about that. I don't think his clipboard has still come down from the air from that game. But uh, South Carolina defense was was very, very stout last year uh, against most opponents, not against the elite opponents, as you would expect. But if that group continues to get better, I think there's a real chance that South Carolina – Put a scare in into teams like Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, I still have South Carolina a little bit behind those two at the moment, but would not stun me at all if we're sitting here by the end of the year and South Carolina's as good as number two in the East.
1: Billy Napier at Florida. Do you? I mean, I'm a I'm a Napier fan. I've, I admired the job that he did at Louisiana Lafayette. He's obviously inheriting a program with a big name but kind of mediocre talent, and he's got a job in front of him. I think. What do you anticipate from the Gators this year?
2: Yeah, that's another one. It's hard to peg. I mean, all spring he's basically saying we need players not happy with the depth across the board, which is not what you want to be hearing. I love what we've seen of Anthony Richardson in brief stints. You know, uh, last season early in the year, I know it was against lesser competition, but he looked just absolutely incredible. Yet at the same time, this is a guy that got hurt dancing, Pre-game, South Carolina, he wasn't able to play in that game because of his dancing. Now we're hearing, you know, he's got pulled over going like, I don't know what he was going over hundred miles per hour, which, again, it, that's not a huge deal to me. But when you, you know, they're asking him to be the face of the of the offense and the team, basically, and you're out here doing this kind of stuff, I kind of question whether he's ready for that. Um, I, I know Billy Napier loves to run out of multiple tight end sets. They were literally down to one tight end yeah. there in, in spring. So that just gives you an indication of, uh, you know, how far they really have to come to to build this thing back up in Gainesville. I think he just did an incredible job building the staff that he did and coming in there late and swinging and, and landing some elite recruits late in the process. Um, I don't think the Gators are going to be that good this year, and, and right out the gate particularly. They open against Utah, which – I believe won the Pac-12, then they host Kentucky, which obviously I'm high on Kentucky, and then two weeks later they travel to Tennessee. It's conceivable they lose all those games. Now, if they're two and one after that, I think I'll be dead wrong. I think Florida's going to have a hell of a season, but it's a tough ask right out the gate for Billy is, Napier and company sure. with that schedule. But I I, I agree with you. I, I love the fact, you know. I hate in the SEC all these guys. I'm a Tennessee grad, I should say. So I've, I've lived it, where we try to hire a Nick Saban guy and let's just do what Nick Saban's doing because that doesn't work. But at the same time, I love the fact that Billy Napier is uh, you know, trying to take Florida to a different level in terms of commitment, in, cur- in terms of staff. Uh, they're even going all in on the NIL now. So I think the future is certainly bright in Gainesville under Billy Napier, but I just don't think it's going to be this year.
1: Yeah, it's a good point you make about Napier, too, because he's, yeah, he's a Saban guy. A lot of people say he's the closest thing to Saban that's ever worked for Saban, which is hard for me to believe when you watch Kirby Smart. But still, um, but he left Alabama. He left the comfort of Tuscaloosa and went to Lafayette, ran his own program, and, and did a really, really good job. I mean, I'm a Louisiana guy. ULL has not always dominated. So, I mean, he, that's a lot of that was his culture that he built there, and it took some time. And he's going to try to do it at Florida. It's going to be interesting to watch them. But, yeah, it feels like this is the year, Michael, that they kind of take some lumps, that you you, kind of some not welcome to the SEC because he's been in the SEC. But, hey, this is a tough league, and the, the climb in this league is hard. Speaking of, I'll, I'll, we save the best for the last here. Um, Georgia and Alabama, no one's arguing those guys at the top. They don't play each other in the regular season. You had to put your pull your crystal ball out or they – are they undefeated when they play each other in Atlanta in December?
2: Oh, that's interesting. You know, I, yeah, probably. But I'll tell you why. And because I'm not, um, I like to give everybody optimism, and I hate going into these seasons where it's like, okay, my God, we got Alabama and Georgia, and that's just going to be destiny, and let's just do it, you know, every year for the next decade. I think that's boring as hell. It is. Alabama lost two games last year. Like, let's not forget, you know, they were not some dynasty. They should have lost the Iron Bowl. LSU, which again was a terrible team last year, had two cracks. They had the ball in the fourth quarter. They score either one of those times, they would have beat Alabama. Arkansas gave Alabama a good game. Tennessee, for the first time ever, was, I believe, leading in the third quarter. I couldn't, I fell out of my chair when I saw that. So, you know, we can't make it this out to be Alabama some. Uh, you know, Team of Destiny, juggernaut and if you if you you know listen to reports down there, you watch the spring game. The offensive line is a travesty. I mean, they're having to reach into Vanderbilt to shore up their offensive line, and it's not like they don't have four and five star prospects all all down there. Apparently, they don't know how to develop those guys. So, that is a major major question mark for Alabama. Yet, at the same time, I think Will Anderson is the best player in college football. Bryce Young's probably the best quarterback. Alabama has these deficiencies, yet they go out and get Jameer Gibbs at running back, who they're comparing to Alvin Kamara. They get the fastest player at Louisville to be the be their Jamison Williams. They get uh, uh, Jermaine Burton, who I loved at Georgia. They just didn't utilize him to be their John Mechie. So, hey, credit Nick Saban for, for recognizing these deficiencies and, and shoring them up. So, it certainly looks like Alabama – We'll go undefeated. I wouldn't put all my money on it, but uh, it's it's hard to look at it anywhere on the schedule and see a game where they're going to trip up other than maybe at Arkansas, maybe at Tennessee, but it, but they're going to be massive favorites in both of those games.
1: Yeah, you got to go to and, Ole got to go to Arkansas, got to go to Tennessee. There are some games that you look at and go, hmm, maybe. You know, it could be interesting. It's mm-hmm. like the, you know, it's, um, I mean, look, if some of the people are right, you know, like, if if um, can, if Ole Miss could beat Kentucky and then, you know, they go, they beat Auburn at home and go to LSU and win. I mean, it's conceivable that by then they figured out the quarterback thing and it would be wild in, in the Grove when Alabama came to town. So you're, you're right. I mean, we do this at the beginning of the year. We go, there's no way. And then as the season progresses, games get a lot more interesting, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't
2: be doing shows like this in, in, in May. Right. And. For Georgia, you know, to answer the, the other side of that, I, I've got a lot more confidence that Georgia will actually drop a game. But if you go down their schedule, I don't know how this happened, but I mean, it, it looks like the easiest schedule in the SEC and the defending national champions. I don't know how this happened. I mean, it's at South Carolina is going to be tough, but that's a big ask for uh, Shane Beamer and company to knock off the Georgia Bulldogs. Florida, maybe, you know, the trickiest game for Georgia may be. Uh, down there at Mississippi State I mean Mississippi State went to Athens I think it was the 2020 COVID year
1: gave them everything they wanted
2: they yeah they, they nearly knocked them off I know that was years ago so maybe that doesn't apply but you know I think that that'll be a tricky game for them Tennessee maybe at Kentucky again I'm very high on Kentucky that that'll probably be their toughest game so the back end of their schedule does have some tough games but again they're going to be favored in every one of these games. So I'm more likely to think – I think Georgia – I'll retract my statement. I think Georgia may drop a game. But, again, Georgia, if you would have taken their last uh, month of the schedule and you would have put that at the front of the schedule, I think it would, almost a certainty they drop one of those games. But – Georgia will probably be a hell of a lot better by the end of the year once these guys get more experience than they are uh, at the beginning. So, you know, it really could go either way, and it certainly does look like it's going to be Alabama and Georgia.
1: All right, last thing, and I really appreciate your time. You've been awesome. Um, You talked about Texas earlier, Texas and Oklahoma joining the league. I think it's going to happen in 2023. A lot of people tell me I'm wrong. It's going to be 2024. Some people even think it's going to go all the way to 2025. But regardless – when those teams join the league, and we have some time, but just kind of your gut feeling as to how they fit in, how they impact the SEC when, when Texas and OU are in.
2: Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Oklahoma. I mean, they're making a, a wise decision for the future of their program, but they ain't going to rule the SEC like they do that uh, the junior league they're in right now. So uh, they're going to be an outlier in recruiting. I mean, it they might be taking a huge step back. And I, I know those fans are – they seem to be overjoyed to get rid of Lincoln Riley just because he's got rid of them essentially. But uh, that certainly seems like a big drop-off to, to Brent Venables. Maybe maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe he'll be a great coach. And for their sake, I hope he is. But, uh, you know, I think it, it'll certainly affect Oklahoma's success on the field. Whereas Texas – I'm not too worried about Texas, to be honest with you. I mean, they are just annually overhyped. I mean, they're losing to Kansas, for God's sake. Uh, I think they dropped five games in a row last season for the first time ever, something like that. And like going back to to what I was saying earlier, I'm not a huge fan of, of Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach. So um, I'm not too worried about either one of those teams, but I love the fact that we're getting them, and I'll switch my tune the moment they're in the SEC because I like to pump up all these fan bases. I don't necessarily know this is going to be good for college football, but it's going to be great for you and I, Neil, and the rest of the SEC because oh, yeah. the, S- the SEC is already a mile above everybody, and they're just going to go a little bit further. And, uh, you know, no disrespect to, to teams like Arkansas and Mississippi State and South Carolina, but sometimes you lose recruiting battles to, to a TCU, to a Baylor, and, and et cetera. I don't think that's ever, you know very, very rarely going to happen moving into the future when Texas and Oklahoma – come into the league because I think everybody's going to want to be playing in the SEC where it's basically a mini NFL, whereas the rest of it, which is already a junior league in my opinion, is, is going to be taking another step down. So um, I can't wait for it. Yeah, the, the one thing that,
1: that Texas and OU undebatably bring to the league is two really big, sexy brands Yeah, I know Texas has lost a lot, and we all make fun of them. But, I mean, everybody knows the horn when you see it. I mean, everybody knows what that is. I think we all will, for perpetuity, talk about the potential of that program. And who knows? Maybe they put it together at some point. And then OU, yeah, they've dominated the Big 12, and it will be, I agree with you, completely much different than the SEC. But let's be real. When when Oklahoma goes to Baton Rouge or Starkville or Oxford or Auburn, People are going to get giddy. You know, when, when when Oklahoma goes to Fayetteville, Arkansas is going to get jacked up. That is going to be a big game there, a big game in Oxford when Texas comes to town. When UT came to Oxford in 2012, and, I mean, this place was a zoo. And it'll be like that again. And, and um, I think it's great for the league and then for the TV people. I um, mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on. Can you imagine how excited they're going to be when you get – Alabama and Oklahoma on a Saturday afternoon in Tuscaloosa or Tennessee and Texas. I, I mean, come on. It's, it's, and you're right. It's going to help everybody in recruiting because kids are going to want to play in that league that they, they are. They already do. It's just mm-hmm. going to make it, it's just going to make it even sexier. And so, I mean, Oklahoma, Florida, kids are going to watch that game and say, I want to play in that game. And, and so it's going to, I think it's going to raise the league, even though those teams are going to take their lumps and, People are going to be like, oh, yeah, welcome to the SEC and all that stuff. But anybody who thinks that they're not going to strengthen the marketability of the league, you're just being naive. It's two huge national big time brands.
2: Yeah. And also the biggest thing I, I should have mentioned this as well. Adding those two teams is going to fix the SEC's biggest issue, which is the scheduling. And I'm told that. uh You know, I don't think they have it finalized by any means, but they're they're doing away with divisions. So that's right. Right. So that is going to allow, you know, provided. I don't they again, they don't have it finalized how they're going to do it, but if they do it the way we're all speculating, they're going to do it. You know, this is going to allow a lot more travel for teams like. Ole Miss to, to face Tennessee every other year and a, and a Georgia and a Florida more often, uh, in addition, of course, to Texas and Oklahoma. But again, that will just going to help the league immensely. And I think it opens up, uh, you know, other pipelines, so to speak. You know, if old Miss is able to pitch, hey, every other year or or once every four years, we're going to be in Georgia every Four years we're going to be in Florida uh, You know every so often we're going to be In Nashville, Knoxville I think that opens a lot more doors And makes it a lot more feasible To recruit in the entire Footprint which again is just Going to help the league And and, and grow it to, a, to an even more dominant Status to where I think kids In Texas right now they're probably a little Hesitant to go to uh, To a Tennessee, to a Georgia, to a South Carolina but once they open This thing up and they're in there every other year uh i really think that's going to help the league in 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 addition to the fans which are just going to be able to go to more and more game venues like you're saying i mean i cannot tell you how many sec fans have told me i cannot wait to to make that trip to austin or norman uh so yeah there's no no negative to it aside from uh (laughs) may blow up the rest of college football but That's not my concern. You know what?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I. Th- I think it's. I think it's a step towards a, a future expansion. But we'll talk about that another day. Listen, I've kept you long enough. I really appreciate your time, Michael. Don't forget, people can follow you at Michael W. Bratton on Twitter. It's the that sccpodcast that SCC on YouTube. Great stuff. Really appreciate you uh, giving me almost a full hour of your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime, Neil. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. That was Michael Bratton, oh, 55 minutes or so with him. Really appreciate his time uh, wrapping up the show. It's 9-19 here at the, as we wrap up on Thursday night. Kentucky and Tennessee headed to the bottom of the ninth in Lexington. It's tied 2-2, two to two, so a game that could have some uh, SEC tournament ramifications. I think there was an assumption. I certainly made it. said so to most people that Tennessee would just easily sweep Kentucky. That's not the case. Kentucky. Uh, could score a run here in the bottom of the ninth and win the game. Or they're headed to extras in Lexington. So uh, something to keep an eye on if you're watching in the live stream. If you're listening to this on Friday, you already know the result. You know how that works. So, uh, listen, thanks to everyone for making us a uh, a part of your week, part of your uh, daily routine. We really appreciate it. We always do. Our thanks again to uh, Gabe DeArmond of com, Ryan Brown of The Next Round, and Michael Bratton of that SEC podcast. Uh, com that SEC podcast on YouTube. Uh, Michaels does a really good job. His produces a lot of uh, strong SEC content. So I uh, highly recommend that you, uh, you check him out. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been in the stream throughout the night. I know it's not a live show, if you will, even though it is a live show, but everything's taped. Uh, appreciate those of you involved, Mark and Sammy and Alan and all the people involved. Happy Mother's Day to uh, everybody out there. Um, hope that uh, if you are one of our four percenters, hope you have a great Mother's Day. You are one of our ninety six percenters. Hope that you uh, recognize the mom uh, in your life, your mom, your wife, whatever the case may be. Make it a uh, make it a happy Mother's Day. So again, thanks to everyone for uh, being part of this. Thanks to all the our guests, and we will be back on Monday with another edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. We'll have coverage. Of Missouri, Ole Miss uh, baseball over the course of the weekend. Ole Miss made a basketball coaching hire we've been telling you about for a while. A coach from uh, Louisiana Lafayette that came to fruition this evening. So uh, a little bit of content at rebelgrove.com. Some recruiting stuff. We'll have baseball stuff over the course of the weekend. And again, we'll be back on Monday with the Oxford Exxon podcast. Until then, thanks for making us a part of your week. Take care.